0: Ed Piskor. I'm Jim Rugg. A little business before we get into From Hell. Octobriana, 1976, world's first blacklight comic. In stores now, everywhere, wherever comics are sold, uh, online or in person. And one blacklight project leads to another. I've just done a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles blacklight poster print that is available until October 13th. You can order it from im8bit.com, I'll post a link under the video. Going to be a very limited number. Uh, basically, the pre-orders are how many they're going to print. So, if you would like to see me do blacklight fluorescent ink with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, now's your chance.
1: 2020 is the blacklight late motif in the Jim Rugg <laughs> cartooning career. Yes, super cool, man, and congratulations once again on the success of uh, Octobriana's Kickstarter and all that, man. Right now, I'm working on Red Room. It's going to appear on probably a monthly basis come 2021, but right now the early adopters can get a hold of it. At uh, my patreon patreon.com slash Ed and I put the strips up there at a high enough resolution that uh you could print up your own bootlegs <laughs> if you can't wait for the official print <laughs> edition and it's a it's in its raw unedited form up there uh when it sees the light of day in print it'll probably be uh you know a couple panels will be redrawn here and there some dialogue will be changed and there's going to be some material specific to the issues man but it was a three-page week this past week I've drawn 133 pages so far so perfect uh perfect subject matter to go along with Red Room that's goddamn right man and uh today we're gonna be talking about from hell the first four chapters you know because if UK favors didn't realize we've been posting lots of videos and reading lots of comics four chapters in at a clip is a manageable amount Jimmy yeah This is a uh, I'm very excited to to go through
0: this one. Uh, We have talked a lot about this issue of the comics journal. I always think we're just going to go through this one day. This might be it. So the best of 1999. um, There's five or six comics that they talk about huge influence on me because this is when I start making comics and when I'm looking at alternative comics. And you can see on the cover from hell was finished this year. It was pretty much on everybody's list as best of for that year it's so highly regarded that there are actually two full-length reviews of from hell in this issue so this is a big-time comic man and a big-time comic in my own reading
1: when we started the channel it was about uh wizard magazine that was the stuff that we were showing off and in some of the earliest mentions of from hell in wizard magazine it was very straight up to to what the book really is it's just like very heavily researched fictional interpretation of the Whitechapel murders jack the ripper uh wizard magazine when i was scooping it up in the late 90s towards the end of the 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 book being completed they were selling it a little bit differently as saying that this is the most factually accurate like <laughs> plausible version like they were selling it as a as a as a as a non-fiction piece, not Alan Moore, I'm saying, like, whoever, you know, Christaros, whoever was being the one to, to put the final one together, Dennis Kitchen, whoever was doing right. a publicity on that stuff, they flipped the script on it, man. So when I first grabbed it, I'm like, wow, okay, cool. I'm going to read. Not only is it, like, factually based and so heavily reached, but it's a comic. Like, this is, like, important for comics that the most accurate uh, Jack the Rippers Story to be told is done in comic book form. Amazing.
0: Yeah, and part of that comes from, you know, there's a 50-page appendix. Oh, and, incredible. And it's just loaded with where literally every page, you know, like this is the description of one page. Right. Where one page comes from. Several pages of citation for it. Comics weren't used to that, especially American comics. That is not what we were seeing. Um, this is a work that, you know, it starts in Taboo. This is Taboo number two, Steve Bissett's uh, horror anthology that he published is the first appearance of From Hell probably, I don't know, 1990, somewhere, maybe late 80s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe mid 80s, even when, when 1989. Is, OK, 1989. So that's when Moore starts, takes 10 years to finish it. This is an ambitious kind of project. This is a guy who did Watchmen early in his career and continues to grow and challenge himself. Uh, we looked at you know writing for comics, Alan Moore's uh, essays on, on his approach to writing. And he talks about doing things you're not sure you can accomplish I feel like from hell was him looking around and being like, yeah, this might not be doable as a comic and and really going for it. And so part of the impact I think this book has not just the exhaustive research on Jack the Ripper, but as a comic, just extremely ambitious in its scope and what he was trying to do. I can't point to another comic quite like this at the time. You know, I think since then you could look at maybe Jason Lutz Berlin is one of these, these projects that is just highly researched, historically accurate, um but it's it's very rare few and far between that uh, creators go after a subject to this degree
1: also few and far between uh when it comes to pointing out like the truly great collaborations in the comic book medium uh some uh, very often the writer and the artists are competing against one another to try to get get some shine and uh, in that writing for comics far more than once Moore mentioned his love of eddie campbell comics that was a set of essays that were written in 1985. So 1989, they started working together, and uh, the the Eddie Campbell line work is perfect for this Victorian era tale. No doubt. I'm gonna pull these off. Pull them
0: off. Um, but I I, I bring these just to cite that this book went through I think four publishers. Right. So so taboo, tundra, kitchen sink, and ultimately top shelf.
1: But but it's weird because it's like it's Eddie Campbell comics, and then and then uh and then you see like later versions it's more it's like top shelf so it's like i think top shelf did like some sort of distribution i know chris staros was his uh eddie campbell's agent for a while and there was a time or two man like say 97 98 when chris staros would come through at that top shelf booth and have from hell pages for sale for the kingly sum of sixty dollars a page i I hate i hate
0: (laughs) hearing this because i saw those two and passed up on them and i would look at them and they were beautiful yeah
1: (laughs) yeah a lot a lot of uh, a
0: lot of uh, what ifs there but yeah man eddie campbell one of my favorite whenever i started looking at alternative comics and the idea of doing your own eddie campbell was a guy that quickly jumped out to me and it's per his his art, as you said, Ed, perfectly suited this subject matter. It looks like etchings. It looks dirty. It has all the qualities you would want for eighteen late eighteen hundreds London, and for a murder, a giant murder story. It's just the perfect fit. And then the other piece is he letters this himself, yeah. And the lettering is is very atypical. You know, it's one of those early things that stood out to me, coming from Marvel, DC, image kind of stuff, and then seeing this, it was just like, what is this? Who is this? It was a very different approach
1: to comic storytelling. It's been a long time since I read this mm-hmm. uh, comic. And, uh, you know, it being October, Season of the Witch, I uh, figured why not do a little series of videos, four chapters apiece, this is a 16-chapter sixteen, pa- 16 chapter story, and then uh, maybe there'll be a collected video that we'll p- play maybe uh, on some day when we take a little holiday break. The artwork, every, for all the good that you said about uh, Eddie Campbell stuff, There were definitely moments here where I was getting confused with with characters, you know, like because of the scratchy aesthetic, uh, some of the female characters would bleed into one another. Um, That Seacourt character, like... I would get him confused with the prince sometimes, and vice versa. So it's not. it's so not the perfect. prince pops his mustache.
0: That's it.
1: <laughs> Very grateful when that shows up. So check this, man. Uh, let's let's just jump in. Yes. Okay. So we have the prologue, the old men, on the shore, and we have, you know, this is Johnny Depp for those uh, who come came to our video, by way of uh, the From Hell movie. He's the inspector guy, who um, is. The Whitechapel murders are, are the thing of the past and, and he, he failed his mission, man. Like he didn't, he didn't capture the bad guy. Um, it's a prelude, but, or a prologue, but, uh, in all four chapters that we'll be covering, he doesn't show up in any, I was going to say, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other character is his, uh, psychic detect, psychic helper, uh, who, who joins the case, you know, out of frustration and inability to, to crack the case. And so it's these guys kind of reflecting back on that time period.
1: In that uh, issue two of uh, Taboo, it contains the prologue and chapter one? Yes. Okay, yeah, because this, while a nice little scene, I don't know that that would be just enough to hook me into the entire enterprise of of From Hell. And uh, one of the things that I made note of while while reading this is that uh, up to this point, and it's Alamor, so I would bet that uh, it's going to be the same throughout. Each chapter is a satisfying unit that that tells a, a very kind of complete moment of, of of the story, a very satisfying chunk of the overall story so far. In uh, the affections of young Mister S, this is when we have uh, the prince, the Prince of England, knock up a lady who isn't of royalty, man.
0: Yeah, he's kind of out. I don't know, being uh, being wild. He's he's kind of out posing as not the prince to live life a little bit, yeah. get a sense of, of what the rest of the world lives like.
1: It's kind of like when Brian Cranston puts out on a Walter White mask at San Diego Comic Con and walks around, <laughs> and people bump him and and jump in front of him, in front of exactly the, the same the, uh, <laughs> the uh, elevators and such. But while he's being a commoner, a plebeian, and and. And frankly, this is a this is a theme that's going to go throughout the whole book—the kind of class, yes, s- class warfare, class system, the 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 plebs, and how low they are in society, man. Um, he's he's gonna. Uh, I don't think they had condoms back in Victoria times, man. So we got a little sex scene right there, and of course, the end result is an unwed mother. This is the 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 crux of Alan Moore's idea here yeah. is that out of
0: this. Uh, you know, outside royalty or outside of the class, this is what's going to ultimately lead to the whole Jack the Ripper persona, as well as the killings that, that result from this. And it's basically trying to keep this information away from the masses.
1: Right, yeah, It's just applying some motive to, to uh, the, ki- the killings. And then you think about, like, this is before uh, the Princess Diana um, death happened and everything. And all of the conspiracy theories, like wrapped up with, with her death, like after that, like this idea of palace intrigue, has has always been there in uh, Britain. There's a sham marriage that goes on with the prince, and uh, the prince's homeboy, he can't he can't get get him to fly straight, man.
0: Try yeah, as he the, may, the
1: prince is in love. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a no-go, man, because she has she's not from royal stock. Inevitably, and by the way, this lady she doesn't know she doesn't know that that's the prince, man. She's got a kid. She's married to the guy. This should be like a fairy tale ending, right? <laughs> but it's an Alan Moore fairy tale. <laughs> Here we go.
0: Yeah, the the, uh, the the royalty realizes what's going on. His his uh, his parents realize what's going on, and I guess the queen specifically, and sends out the royal guard to bring him home and to take care of her. And so she is taken, first he's removed and brought back to the palace, and then the mother is taken to a hospital, kind of a sanit- sanitarium?
1: Yeah. I think they called them insane asylums right at that moment.
0: All right. So that, that's the plan, is like they're going to uh, discredit her, I suppose is, is would be the nicest
1: way to say it, but what actually happens is far, far, far worse. <laughs> while the royal guards come man they they do call him your your highness because they are of a lower class and she was it within ear with it within ear range of that man so she is gonna have to be taken care of you know the crux of this book is going is is a serial
0: killer we're gonna see horror and murder and mutilation and violence and you know history of such but this opening chapter like when he's pulled away from her there that is a heartbroken breaking moment you know like i mean this is a guy who started a family with this woman has a child and this page is them being ripped apart like it's over you know that's the end of chapter one is like that family the child the mother and the father are just torn torn apart yep three separate ways pretty pretty rough stuff and kind of easy to gloss over because you know it's it's half that happens in uh four panels (laughs) four panels
1: out of you know 600 pages (laughs) chapter two a state of darkness. This is our introduction chapter to Sir William Gull, and one of the things that I made note of is the a beautiful use, a Ditko-like use of the uh, the nine-panel grid, man. A lot of thematic really? rhythm in this chapter, uh, where we see a lot of things happening from, from uh, Sir William Gull's point of view.
0: We're also going to see repeat, repetition of this dialogue. Um, throughout this chapter and beyond, like throughout the rest of the story, which is something Alan Moore has done in in other works, you know, that idea of kind of paralleling things, repeating things, um, wrapping stuff up with like -like, bookend-like symmetry. So we're gonna see some of that. You mentioned the point of view, a lot of like Gaul's point of view. It reminded me of Chris Ware's Lint. Right. Uh, It's a very powerful storytelling uh, tool whenever whenever used well, and you don't see it that often. brian ralph's daybreak is another example <laughs> of it applied to a zombie comic but that point of view thing is kind of hard to pull off and it does create uh i thought of parallels to slasher movies sure whenever we're suddenly in the slasher's point of view
1: considering what gall becomes uh,
0: and it's I'm right sure here alan moore's thought of
1: that ex- expressing one of the uh, trinity of traits of all unknown uh, and profiled serial killers man you got to do the animal trauma the animal torture at a very young age. Uh, and if you uh, if you fly right, you get to grow up and uh, get paid for it.
0: Yeah, it's he is a dark dude, Gaul. Yes, and that's sir. what this chapter really goes through showing. Um, you know, we see his father die early on, so he's without a father and just, I don't know, interested
1: in death, I guess, from that point on. He joins the Masons. Yes, man, and uh, one of the initiation rites the, the, the Brits, they always get this sh- kind of shit right. Like like Neil Gaiman can, can, um, can sell you on like interesting spells and, and, and rituals and stuff. And Alan Moore does the same. And I don't doubt that he researched this and it's some accurate stuff, you know. So he's trusted with certain information as part of the initiation ritual. And then these three kind of like senior guild members or whatever... They have to try to get that info out of them as the initiation ritual. And the way that they, like, one uh, method is beating his ass and he keeps his mouth shut. Another one is terrible uh, psychological trauma, man, humiliation. And then uh, the third guy, the way they write it, I can't find it right here, you know, on the fly. But they basically cut his dick. It's like something about, like, you know, cut his manhood, something or other, man. And he still keeps mum. So they allow him to stay, you know, in the guild and become a trusted member of that, you know, secret order. Are you looking for the dick statement? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs>
0: the Masons are, are uh, a great element in here because of how how much conspiracy theory has become like part of our language today. Right. And of course, the Freemasons often a part of uh, conspiracy theory lore. Sure. And, you know, by the way, you can read the appendix. It's not, he's not making up this part. He's not making up that Gaul was a, was a Freemason. You know, a lot of this stuff, there is historical fact. And I think that's probably what whoever was selling this to Wizard Magazine in the 90s was referencing. Right. Um, but you can find it all in the back and, and more sites, you know, where this information is coming from. Any sites he whenever he's making something up or whenever it just is impossible to know this, or at least he wasn't able to find, you know, factual corroboration. Um, but a lot of this
1: stuff is known. We have Gull doing his cup of coffee over there at the Looney bin. And we have some syphilitic uh, prostitute ladies. And, you know, these guys are, you know, talking shit on them. Just like looking at them like they're, they're dregs.
0: Yeah, you know, in addition to the class stuff that goes through here, there's a lot of gender. You know, there's a lot of like power back and forth between the genders. Um,
1: we'll get into it way more explicitly in, yes. in the chapter four piece
0: yeah that's practically a war a historical account of war (laughs) between genders and then the other piece is the architecture we're going to see architecture again and again referenced in many different ways Uh, it's a huge part of gaul and kind of Gaul being this idea of reason and and logic and architecture representing a lot of that for him and for the masons at least the way he interprets you know the, the whatever the teachings the history the culture of the masons it comes through in this expression of architecture so we'll see this again and again
1: here's a question for you jimmy a little art related question i bet i I know what you're gonna ask (laughs) yeah man this crazy texture on the on this board man it doesn't look like uh strathmore 300 cold press i have had paper that,
0: that is this kind of uh it's it's almost a cloth cotton kind of paper that has this type of texture i don't know that that's what he's using because i don't see it in the line work like there would be a little bit of bleed and some different stuff that would happen i think I don't know what that's from. I don't know how he's making that. One thing, if the paper were thin, and from what I saw in the originals, it wasn't. It was like artboard. I was going to say you could put it on top of something and rub across it. I think we all did that as kids, you know, with like those monster maker things. Right. Um, I, I don't know exactly what this stuff is because it's inconsistent. It's not like a screen. You know, it's something that's rubbed or drawn on. It
1: feels like a canvas. Like it looks like a canvas.
0: Yeah, it really does. And, and like I said, I've seen paper that is this exact stuff, but the rest of the drawings... I don't know i guess that's what it must be when
1: we get out of here and shut the camera off i'm going to look at your you know glossy printed version to see if there's a little bit more information on there but once again this is the this is the sir william gall you know and he becomes a, a sir within mm-hmm. these pages he's trusted by the crown yeah he's
0: extremely successful as a as a doctor and a surgeon rises through the ranks uh, great student great great respected medical professional and soon finds his way into the
1: royal court. Here's the queen, man, and it's like from that the famous paintings that we've seen of her, and she's all we always see her in this position, and she always has big asks uh, of uh, Sir William Gall. Her shape is the Salbusima Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it's it's this triangle
0: pyramid with a superpower base. I mean, that's not accidental, you know. I, I'm I'm sure that Moore and Campbell were very conscious of presenting her in this way of like almost monolithic
1: I was thinking of her as like the um as like the the queen of hearts or whatever from uh, through the looking glass you know like definitely if there's a superhero comic she's the kingpin
0: yeah I think through the looking glass is probably a, a very apt reference one of the notes in the appendix is about Alice becoming a popular name because of uh
1: you know because of that
0: that story so
1: so uh, because Gaul is trusted by the crown the queen is letting him in on a little bit of a family scandal. The fact that the prince knocked up a lady who wasn't of royal royal blood. Just a mere commoner. And now, uh, Sir Gull, I need you to go take care of that. And he's very happy to. Yeah, it dovetails into his
0: uh, his research, one of his areas of study and interest. See, spend, sp- spend a minute on, on him cutting this... First, he goes to visit this patient, and then the patient's, you know, wants assurance that they're going to be okay, or is this going to be okay? And he won't. He's like, "No, you're you're dead. Your heart dead already." Is how he describes it. So very cold, no bedside manner, not really interested in people. People skills are lacking. Then we cut to the follow up. The guy's dead. He's going to go back now and cut his heart out because he wants to examine it in front of. I don't know if that's the widow or the daughter, but a loved one right? who, who begs him not to do it. And he does it anyway and says, you know, good, good night to you, madam. So we get a good sense of who he is. And he's this cold. He, he's much more interested in the parts of the human body than he is of, of human being.
1: Yeah, well said. And his coldness is a breath of fresh air. We'll call him Mr. Merrick uh, here. But the elephant man. Yes. Because he, when he first uh, sets his eyes... It's Shades of face in the dialogue and the interaction. The drawings are incredible. Oh, like, so good. Like
0: uh, Campbell's depiction of the elephant, man. Wow.
1: So good, man. And it, 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 we're in uh, David Lynch territory right at this moment. Yeah, man. that's exactly what I thought of <laughs> from the first time I read it till now. And uh, Mr. Merrick is like, hey, man, thanks. So many people either pretend I'm not there, pretend I'm normal. I'm glad you say I look like I have a face like an asshole or whatever. Makes reference to the Indian, uh, the Indian god, the elephant head god in India,
2: yeah,
0: and says, you know, you'd be worshipped if if you were there, and it's kind of an interesting, uh, again, not an accident that Alan Moore is referencing these different gods, you know. We're going to get to chapter four, and it's going to be a talk on various gods, right? Uh, but I think including G- Ganesa, G- 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 yeah, I don't know how to say that, but. Uh, You know, I think that's very intentional and it's part of what this story is, this idea of like how far reaching is an act like the Jack the Ripper murders, you know, I mean, that's part of what this story is, is the idea that like this is an architect of the 20th century in the the world that we come to know from World War Two atrocities on. It all stems from this one incident that really has almost like throwing a rock into into a pond and watching those ripples spiral out. That's kind of what what the idea behind this story is in some
1: in part of the ideas behind the story. This won't be the last time we see the Elephant Man in our tale by the way.
0: Love this kind of drawing too the the very impressionistic stuff. I really hadn't seen much artwork that looked like this in a comic uh, you know up to this point. It
1: really works too, man. Like I, I buy everything uh, Eddie Campbell selling us here. So this
0: is a moment where Gaul has a heart stroke. Yes. And in this moment, he sees God. Visions are part of this story, and they were in the prologue, the idea of visions and whether they're real and how we process those, and they'll come up again and again throughout this story. But this is kind of the first big one, especially for Gaul. And he comes away from this with this idea of like a holy purpose. You know, why is he here? And uh, well, <laughs> he's here to be
1: Jack the Ripper. The, the, the queen has given him some purpose, man. Yeah, here's where she gives him his marching orders. Lets him in on uh on some some family secrets. And he knows exactly what to do. Uh, this is where he recruits his his little Igor. Netly. Uh, yeah, man. And and like it's a it's a great set of exchanges whenever you read the di- the back and forth mm-hmm. between these two guys because you really Alan Moore's really selling you on on the cast system yes of the aristocracy and regular folk because sir william gall is just cutting promos <laughs> and this guy is too dumb to know it <laughs> in every chat in every panel they're going they're on the way man they're going to go see uh miss ann crook and it's time for her to get some kind of transorbital lobotomy or something
0: yeah this is such a disturbing
1: you could go on, I, I don't know if it's Radiolab, it's definitely on NPR, but you know, into like the 70s, maybe even 80s, they had interviews with people who got the transorbital lobotomies and uh, what they do is they just basically put a nail in, into your into your eye and then they, they tap and just behind your eyeball, like they bust through the skull and just jigger around, they just fuck up your brain a little bit, like right there, the frontal lobe, and then you can't remember shit. And they interview these people, and they're all super depressed because they know they're missing something. They they know they don't they can't access these memories that they know they should. That is such a description of what we see with her. Yeah, yeah.
0: the the, the very last uh, cap or or uh, word balloon is less than a thimbleful of iodine divides the intellectual from the imbecile. And and of which phenomena I shall forthwith attempt a demonstration and and then a black panel. So like his instructions from the queen were to silence her. So he's not there to kill her, but he's there to make her unable to to remember, unable to be a uh, any kind of credible person, you know, that's going to bring up some sort of scandalous information. Not after
1: this. Right chapter 3 blackmail or mrs barrett uh, let, let's not forget that miss ancrook that lady who just got her brain scrambled she she had a baby she didn't ha- she didn't have access to that baby while she's there in the asylum so another uh, a friend verse man has been watching a little shorty and uh, enough's enough yeah this this is uh... Making that
0: artist friend culpable, he brought the prince in. He he's sort of responsible for all of this. Thought he could just kind of go slumming, you know, and then and then be rid of it whenever it's over. Well, there there's a there's a child here, and this woman does not want to be tasked with it. Doesn't think she should be tasked with raising the child, and drops him drops the child off with this artist who had been
1: friends of the prince. Look at that amazing panel of just the hustle and bustle Dude, of all downtown of the,
0: London. The city stuff. You know, I, I would cite this whole sequence, you know, like any of the city stuff is just gorgeous. Yeah. And it feels grimy. Like we see pic- pictures of Pittsburgh from, say, 1930s or 40s where it's just black soot on every building on, on the streets. Everything is colored by it. In- That's what you have here. The Industrial Revolution is upon us
1: and cool is burning.
0: Yeah, it always looks like darkness. It always looks like it's nighttime in these in these panels, even if we know it's daytime. I loved all the hatching
1: and stuff that he does through this. We have a little prostitution gimmick happening right here man and and she she was going to pull the swerve by just uh dripping his his member in between her thighs but but he wasn't going to have it man he, too smart for it. he knew the difference but we have to establish this lady as uh, as a prostitute character kind of important in your jack the ripper tale and i think that prostitution
0: piece is another piece of the class you know, yeah i think women it's, it's of a certain class that's kind of at least in within this context that's how they're being presented
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and much I, like
0: the the ca- the coach driver
1: exactly you know, it's, it's they're certainly looked upon differently for sure and and uh you know she's trying to feed herself she's just trying to get money for a place to stay for the night yeah rereading
0: this that's something that comes up i might be getting a little bit ahead of myself but she ends up in this tavern and, and she's having a drink with another woman that she's friends with that also happens to be a prostitute. And just they're being uh, sh- shook down by like the local street gang that wants money from them and stuff. It's a horrible culture. You yeah. Know, like, like it's such a hopeless culture, you know, that, that Alan Moore presents. And again, it's not the focus of this story, but it's a well done piece. Like it's creating this world that's just easy to sympathize with these characters. Uh, easy to understand and
1: easy wish, motivation be happy
0: you're not there uh it, it's really well done as a world
1: yeah and and you know it's motivation for why they're going to be doing the things that they're doing and this story is called blackmail like like she is privy to some uh, some royal information you know she was there when uh those real guards called uh yeah. called uh, the prince your highness yeah, and she refers to it when she drops the kid
0: off with that artist dude. She refers to that guy as the prince. Like, she knows. She she does know. Man, it's great, too. Like, that inability to keep anything secret. Like, go
1: silence the mother.
0: Well, you, you did this on a city street. Like, some people noticed it.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you, the, my only thing is, like, any streetwise streetwalker of 2020, man, she would know to keep her damn mouth shut about somebody who's so... Uh, lording over you well it speaks to the desperation right
0: sure i mean this 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 is a hope you know it's hopeless
1: yeah like when you when you uh did you skip a page there was a beautiful i don't have much to say about it except i just think that's a beautiful it's it's incredible it's relentless page after page of this stuff even this stuff right here has like the eisnerian quality man it was a huge influence
0: on me this kind of hatching and seeing him know you're not you you can see the beautiful backgrounds but then also you can just have some of these vertical lines right and it works just as well
1: so our girls are commiserating at a bar called the britannia and uh like you said they're being shaken down by you know local mafia like the droogs they need these ladies need
0: money and a lot those dudes want an exorbitant amount they want four pounds from them and apparently there would have been a prostitute, I don't know if it's in their circle or it's known, that was killed, and Alan Moore in the story ascribes it to that street gang. So, you know, like, they're, they're, they're scared for their life is what they're, why they need this money. And it's a big enough amount that they decide they're going to go to that artist. Um, you know, she has the connection, so she's going to go to that artist for the, uh, for the money. And he doesn't have that kind of money. Yeah, he's an artist. M- might be a Victorian-era cartoonist. But I guess before we get there, we have this one haunting scene of uh, the mother has escaped. Yeah. And she comes out and she confronts the artist first. And there is some wild drawing. Like, look at the drawing in this panel. It's incredible. It's, it's sort of, a uh, I think it's drunk at night, right? So you see like wagon wheels in the background. You see some other figures that are sort of passing, but not quite on the right plane. And of course the light in the foreground you know we're looking at kind of down at the scene a little bit so we have that street lamp to provide light but what an impressionistic panel that is yeah
1: she's there where's my baby she says yeah and she can't you can see that
0: she can't form her thoughts like she can't totally explain what has happened all she keeps thinking about is
1: this missing child and just to sell you on her mental state she uh, just cops a squat and takes a pee and then the the coppers come by, the bobby comes by, and it's just like, oh, this happens all the time. Don't, don't worry about it, sir. I'll take her back. She's fine.
0: And he gets back to his his apartment, and uh, and that's when he finds the
1: ransom note. Very tight ending to uh, chapter three.
0: Oh man, it's it's knowing knowing this story. It is e- like each piece just set just getting worse and worse Damn. it's like digging the hole that, that you're not going to come back from
1: we're not getting into one murder here uh in in this particular video in these first four it's all, we're we're setting a stage man in this chapter four what doth the lord require of thee uh setting the stage even further and giving you some historical like almost it's like william gall is explaining why it's almost acceptable for him to he just Continuing the war that's been going on through all of history, from the times that yes. that uh, you know we li- existed in a matriarchy to uh, to now, this is a big monologue for the most part. There's there's a couple of little sides. <laughs> the way I describe it is, what you're what we're reading would be Alan Moore's answer when Gary Groth asks him. <laughs> so Alan, where did you come from? <laughs> all 40 pages of this yes yeah eventually this gets spun into like
0: uh jerusalem i think <laughs> right it starts out uh very quickly the, the artist goes to the princess and is like i don't have this money what do i do and she's like i have to tell the queen and man again with the art you know like that dark shadowy horse on top of this playing out underneath as like the queen gets the information and it's
1: bring me doctor gall. Yeah, man. That old, that old bastard, he's he's willing to do anything. All of them, your majesty? Yes.
0: <laughs> Godspeed you, Mr. my Gall. Oh man. Really strong stuff.
1: And then he he gets Netley to uh they're going to drive around London and with ne- a map. <laughs> and Netley like you know for as inept as he is, he's kind of like one of those you know like like born again just quit smoking type guys who's like ready to go oh so we're gonna kill him oh we're gonna kill him and he's like oh no 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 nothing so provincial something much bigger and this is alamore flexen uh we're gonna be taking a look all around london getting all sorts of information about the town
0: yeah filtered through history filtered through architecture filtered through geography this is a. Uh, this is that long, you know, kind of the long look at a story that I think of with Alan Moore, where it's like I've got all this information. How does it fit? Yeah, you know, like I mean, this is a ten thousand foot view, maybe a thirty-five thousand foot view of all the information around this character, this event, this time period, and then fold it into a
1: tour through London. When I was uh, reading this, I was I was getting mad a little bit. Yes, because it was just like on and on and relentless and not like you know just driving the simple story that I want to read but then when he ties it together because you know he's going to it all kind of makes sense and it requires us to finally get to a place yeah go ahead well I was gonna I wanted to point out the art an artistic question
0: observation there are these things campbell does like there's a lot of freehand lines but then he'll do these things that are perfectly they're ruled out lines yeah they're here uh horizontally they're here vertically that was something that would i I would kind of stare at and think about dan Clowes will do that you know where it's like these they're ruled with a t-square right uh it's such a bizarre little piece it works great it looks great but sometimes he doesn't sometimes he doesn't and like as a reader man i would just stare at these things and try to figure them out yeah But in terms of like the length of this monologue, it reminded me of in the Bible, there there will be chapters and chapters of just lineages Mm -hmm. where it's like so-and-so begot so-and-so. And And it'll be multiple chapters of that. Mm -hmm. This kind of, it it reminded me of that, which I think is appropriate. If you even look at this book design, it's almost biblical and it's big kind of square, thin paper format. Right. So... I don't think anything is accidental in a book like
1: this. Definitely
0: not. There are references on references and, and literary and historical references. And I think that's a little bit of what this monologue is.
1: Yeah, he's also selling us on the, the, the gender war uh, throughout history. You know, the matriarchy. We worshipped female, female gods who held the secret of uh, reproduction, you know, within their stomachs. But then, you know, the, the, the men revolted blah 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 formation of the mason guild ties it to left brain right brain (laughs) it is phenomenal how how far reaching this this monologue is and then he ties it to okay so we have some of our back and forths with Netley, and that's the shit (laughs) you want to read because he's really calling him a stupid piece of shit time and time again in the most eloquent way and Netley's like oh thank you so very good sir thanks a lot i appreciate that
0: Netley's uh, curiosity peaks with the Mason stuff. Like he he wants to get in that club real bad. And right. How that would elevate his class. Yeah. And Gall kind of strings him along.
1: Like yeah, you, you do your thing, man. I'll I'll do more than just get you a meeting. <laughs> it gets it's it gets very important when uh, good old Netley starts to uh, equate obelisks with his quote unquote John Thomas. Yes. Because as we continue throughout the city. And he's mapping out, you know, London, like everywhere they're going. And there are these big obelisks everywhere they go or important pieces of architecture. Uh, Dicks in the sky, essentially. Yes, these are built by the Masons. And this is a symbol of men winning the war, you know, winning the gender war. These big dicks in the sky. I can't stop pointing out the incredible drawing. Like, like as
0: we go through these monuments, as you see these street scenes, it's again and again and again, and it's little stuff. It'll be the back of a character just bleeding out into like fine lines where the front's fully defined, things like that. Um, but I don't know whether this would be the worst chapter to draw if you're Eddie Campbell or the best, because it is a showcase, man. This is, this Everyone is what goes <laughs> in your Hall of Fame speech is this chapter if you're Eddie Campbell, but bet it wasn't easy.
1: Oh, uh, every important building and structure in, uh, in, in London before google image search man yes yeah wow bridges it's it's stunning it is absolutely stunning artwork you got to draw enough of these obelisk dick in the skies man enough of them so that you could draw a pentagram at the end of the chapter because that's what it's all building toward that's how that's how album ties it up and Netley, Netley's getting sick too as he starts to
0: see the bigger picture and and gall is taunting him what does this imply, A. Eh, Netley? What does this imply? And Netley's getting sick. Like <laughs> yeah. literally sick as he starts to get into some of the uh, implications of this.
1: Because these these are, you know, the commoners, religious folk, man. Mm-hmm. And when we when he physically, you know, is drawing straight lines to all the places they just visited throughout this issue and it turns into a fucking pentagram, that sends Netley off the off the off his rocker, man. Man, he describes that gender
0: split as deliver half this planet's population into slavery. It is a
1: hard world that, that Gaul sees, and it seems like uh, you know the perfect motivation for a Jack the Ripper to fill out, to be able to sleep at night after doing what he what he does. It's a calling, man. A calling and a calling.
0: I love how Campbell uses brush as well. You know, as as, as you're going through like the those ravens. Or crows you can see are probably all brush ink that ability to combine like ruled lines pen lines next to these like brushes in the same panel whether it's for foliage or shadows or whatever that's really strong inking it is he's yeah. written about inking too like I, I would suggest anybody that looks at this and is odd by it like you can go read lots of Eddie Campbell writing about inkers and, and uh, <laughs> It's, it's well worth your time if you're into inking, cross-hatching, different tools.
1: Campbell has opinions on it. Dude, I was on a plane with that motherfucker, man. And you know how you get to have your like, one carry-on? <laughs> His carry-on was a Chewbacca belt <laughs> of inking implement, a bandolier. Yes, that makes total sense. Of fucking inking implements, brushes, and all that stuff. And he had just like, a little sketchbook with him. I thought that was so... I was like, that's an artist, man. That's an oh, artist. Yeah. I'm sitting there. I got my laptop. He don't have no laptop. He's got a fucking Chewbacca belt of Copic markers and shit. I I he was one of the early
0: alternative cartoonists I'd follow, and I would read like Alec and stuff. And they, it would show him drawing. You know, it's kind of autobiographical. It would show him drawing with like just a board on his knees, like sitting in the corner of his apartment drawing
1: all the time. And I uh, I believe it, but yeah, it's uh it's it's something to see on a page. More obelisks, more important architecture. The masons were here. You know, that's it's it's like. Uh, it's like secret society graffiti. Every time you see one of these big structures, man, it's, it's the secret society telling you, you know, we were here. It's all coming to this, man. And, and once again, like Jimmy said, like, look at this building. This is just about one page of, of you know, 40-page chapter of... And, and Gaul's evil eyes. <laughs> Center of the page, very strong.
0: Gaul is the worst. Yes. like it, it's so easy to recognize him like whatever the uh i don't know the stereotype or archetype of like the evil you know the the evil billionaire type the evil powerful guy at the top the old man who's just bitter with at life
1: gall is that guy like he's such a villain he is but he's also like captivating enough that i want to hear what he has to say very charismatic
0: yeah which again is what you want like he's a super villain
1: totally he, he's totally
0: a super villain and again, if you're thinking of this as being like the blueprint of the 20th century, that's exactly what you need. Like he has to be that. You know that. That's it.
1: Poor Netley. Yeah, Netley's in so far over his head, man. <laughs> so here we go, the moment of truth. Let's draw some straight lines to all the from all the places that we visited today. All of the big obelisks. And what do you got, Netley? What do you got, you little fucker?
0: Boy, he can't tolerate it either no sir air outside gotta get outside netley just (laughs) runs away and gaul's smiling (laughs) the happiest we see gaul
1: (laughs) netley outside losing his lunch losing his kidney pies tormenting his 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 (laughs) eagler and he's like look all around you look at the you know look at the ornaments on that horse over there it's all mason imagery by the way does that bear a little resemblance to dr blasphemy's chest (laughs) <laughs> you're like looking at that, it feels so symbolic. And there it is, man, our trip through London. Yeah. Setting up William Gall, he's got his mission. I usually think that...
0: We read writing, uh, Moore's book on writing, you know, and, and, and the last thing he covers is really like writing sentences, dialogue, stuff like that. But it ends with, our story's written, least, inked in blood, long dry, engraved in stone. That's a hard ending, man. That's yeah. a really strong sentence to end this on, considering what this chapter was. You know, thirty-eight pages of uh, just just showing this this madman's concrete and stone ideology laid out in London, Incre- it, almost inconceivable. Something like this. This is another example. Like, um, I don't know how you would describe this to somebody. It, it and, and, would and sound it, awful, right? Right, and make it make sense, and make it reflect what you have here you have
1: to go through you have to go through with it also the fact that this was serialized stuff and if you just got that issue of taboo or whatever where this might have showed up and it's like you know jack the ripper killing uh, in a super in a world where we're used to like a fight sequence in every issue of spider-man so i'm just getting a tour of london and yeah it's really well written but this is it 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 works as the book I imagine a young grant morrison reading this and
0: coming to life like, <laughs> like, like blossoming right <laughs> had like new pathways forming <laughs> and, and not just him i mean i i think a lot of people you know i think the reason this work is received the way it is is partially for stuff like this chapter where it's like you can do this in comics it's
1: incredible like like i said i was getting angry at it as i was reading it just because it's like page after page of like giving me a detailed description of every alleyway but as gall started making his point i i've been thinking about this chapter all week since i since i read this this is the most distinct piece of this book for me whenever i
0: remember like i haven't read this in 20 years but this is the chapter i remember Mm. it's the first
1: thing i think about whenever i think of this book super cool man wow jimmy we, we cover four chapters this week we'll cover four next week yes
0: what a start man so audacious and it does feel like uh, again the other thing that is in that Alan Moore book he talks about is not knowing how this stuff's going to play out you know like not having it all mapped out ahead of time and it feels that way like that's an epic it feels like that that was not conceived early on like like maybe a rough idea but the actual piece and it's thirty eight pages it's the biggest chapter up to this point and I think that speaks also to like once he started in on it it was just rich
1: yeah I mean let's 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 think about this like chapter one is the family scandal, chapter two, introduction of Sir William Gall, or the the life story of William Gall. Get get him up to the point where the story is in present day. Three, the blackmail. Chapter three is like the blackmail stuff is set up, and four, I guess, is like marching orders. You know, I guess that's a, like if you were to have a little file card for each of the chapters like that's what this chapter would be it's getting ready for war
0: yeah you know like he's he's preparing for battle it's just chapter four and guess what at the end of this one he's ready to go he's got his pentagram drawn on the map <laughs> <laughs>
1: the star marks the spot let's do it yeah man incredible all right man let's get out of here for now though so where we left off jimmy with, in our last video there wasn't even one murder
0: no Well, we're going to make up for uh, some lost time and
1: cover, I don't know, four of them in these next four chapters? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Dude, I went to the comic shop just yesterday to pick up some stuff, and I I saw a copy of uh, From Hell there. I was kind of curious what the color version was like, and they didn't have a copy there. But they had, you know, this is a perennial. You keep this on your store shelves. The newer printings are so white on, like, archival paper, it doesn't work as well to me. Like, this is the one that you want.
0: You're not kidding. Format wise, when they made this decision to put it on on this newsprint, that was talked about a little bit. that was a design decision. And I think a very flattering one for this material, because Eddie Campbell's art looks like it's of that time period. It looks like the etchings, you know, I I think that's not accidental. I think that was definitely a creative choice he made. And you put it on this kind of pulpy paper. It really flatters it. There is an addition where the edges of the pages are black. This was a very limited version i've never seen it in person but it sounds like that might be a pretty good treatment as well
1: like a color blocking yeah oh
0: okay yeah that's that's pretty good cool. like, like dark definite. like like yeah yeah exactly just sooty kind of thing yeah uh i think that would also fit the material well but i like this newsprint treatment um you know kitchen sink did versions of this it was done in taboo originally very nice paper and reproduction but something fits with this. This feels gross, even when you touch it with your hands. It feels like you should have to have like the black ink on
1: your fingers, like like old news, newspapers.
0: Right after you read this,
1: so let's talk about soot and grit, and get into chapter five. Uh, this is the one that has this kind of juxtaposition of the ink wash and the black and white line. Before you get there what we're
0: seeing here uh conception of adolf hitler is that what we're looking at this is his parents you know having sex about the time that he would have been conceived which was one of the many conceits of this book was looking at what are the ramifications of this event how did it shape 20th century and that's one of the connections alan moore makes is the whole idea of hitler being conceived around the time period of this happening which maybe a stretch, but interesting from a storytelling point of view. And so that's what these first couple pages are. And then we do get into the comparisons between Dr. Gall uh, and his kind of upper, upper class lifestyle with those ink washes compared to the prostitutes who, this is amazing. You know, like they would pay their couple of pennies or whatever to stay at this place overnight where you were tied up to the wall. You sat sleeping up tied to the wall so you wouldn't just fall down on the floor cost them as nothing but this would have been like your
1: impoverished life. And it made me think like, are these characters homeless for the most part? They uh whenever you watch these whenever you watch these um documentaries and stuff about uh the the Whitechapel killings, they always talk about the way life was for these girls. Every day they start from zero and throughout the day you need your like four bucks to uh to have the privilege to, to stay at this place so by any means necessary uh if on a good day you just rob for that four bucks uh on a bad day you gotta fuck some creeps you know and uh but that was i hope you don't get robbed exactly and that was that was day in day out
0: yeah it's he paints that picture very effectively like the these lives of the lower class people men and women that are depicted just brutal and that includes like Aberleen, the the detective who has to go back to Whitechapel and does some just continues to paint this picture right like this is a bleak dark place Whitechapel at this time
1: period yeah cool storytelling stuff where we have these kind of like more elongated panels for the William Gall sections and then uh, the skinny narrow third tier third section is relegated for the prostitute who's just doing what she can to get a couple of shillings,
0: dude. Page architecture as an expression of of her, you know, less than existence.
1: Right, man. This piece right here, man. We, it's just it's just a line for the uh, for like petticoat, and you just see that hand. Perfect. Got our little cup of coffee with uh, with uh, the elephant man. Yeah, it's weird that that relationship. <laughs> I think that's
0: what you know. There are a lot of these. What I admire from this book, rereading it, is how many threads Moore is weaving. Sure. With we see detectives and kind of them doing their work, both good and bad police work. We see the journalists who are doing you know new journalism and stuff. There's so many of these different pieces that he's weaving together in here, and I think that's what the Elephant Man stuff is. You know, it's one more, one more piece of this time period that he's painting, the setting that he's creating, and, and weirdly, the Elephant Man is part of that setting, part of the oddity.
1: So one of uh, Alan Moore's conceits is this grand uh, conspiracy by way of the crown. And uh, it goes to the masons, man, the the, the brother masons. So William Gall is letting Scotland Yard know because one of the main guys at Scotland Yard is a brother mason. And he's just like, listen, man, I was ordered by the queen to kill four motherfuckers, man. So you just got to look the other way. And there's a... some tribulation there's some bullshit that goes along with this man but ultimately our scotland yard whatever you would call that guy the the commissioner gordon of that stuff is like okay i'll just make sure there's just like a real shitty cop yeah to, yeah the <laughs>
0: conspiracy part is great like yeah. like this whole story is full of that mason the, the, the masonry connections behind this and i think he does that conspiracy thing really well with the police because he interacts with this guy's chief of police or whatever that position would be at the top of the line it's very disturbing that what more the story that more is telling here right and, and showing those threads of like well how do you get away with this and it's like connections it's all these upper level people have these connections
1: to each other when you see Netley, you know there's trouble ahead man he's the igor to the dr frankenstein that is uh sir william gall let's uh there's going to be a, a few call
0: outs to the great eddie campbell throughout these four chapters this row of seeing the 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 through the glass, it's not a reflection, but the distortion through the glass, incredible, yes. right? Incredible, and uh, you know that's Polly. That's going to
1: be our first victim,
0: and she emerges from behind that glass in some really impressive
1: drawing. William Gall gets ready for for uh, he kisses his wife good night when he has to go out on the town to go do some business, man.
0: Yeah, spends his day looking at like Egyptian artifacts. Kissing his wife, having nice dinners, shaving, and then uh, heading heading out to, to, to kill prostitutes.
1: Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that Netley was tasked with, you got to give you got to give this girl a piece of flair.
0: We need to find her. Yeah. Mark her somehow.
1: Yeah. So just like you know when Bubbles in in the Wire is given the, the drug the important drug dealers the red hat, got to give this lady a bonnet. You know what?
0: I'm glad you mentioned the Wire. I felt that several times reading this. We'll point out a couple more as we go through these chapters, but that that's great. Look at that sooty sky. I love it. You almost can't
1: breathe. That's that's that's, the, that's what our homies are dealing with on the west coast because somebody a couple had to have a gender reveal party and burn up half the fucking country. <laughs> he's poisoning
0: grapes. That's what we're seeing on these pages. Yeah, grapes that he's going to feed to those to his victims
1: uh, once he once he picks up Polly i guess they're a sedative it's it's that laudanum stuff which would have been the anesthetic of the day to to put your ass out whenever s- surgery was required there's a couple of moments like this
0: too this is like fire and engulfing uh you know kind of her world we saw at a panel a couple pages earlier there was a background that was like that we're gonna see a few of these examples where like the world the present world drops away and we see other stuff visions time sort of displacement visions, but it's an interesting choice visually. Yeah. You know, it creates a mood. And again, man, all these night scenes, the coaches, the amount of black ink on these pages that still reads, it is such a dark, dark story. Right. Literally.
1: Right. Pages and pages. It's this is this is uh, at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards when the German officer is there in the house and we see the people underneath the floorboards. We know what's happening. This is the Jack the Ripper comic. Page after page after page of conversation between the two. It's making you feel for the girl. You know, it's making you... It's it's turning her into a person for us just before the inevitable. But not before they uh, drive by uh, the elephant man. Yeah, and he makes her give a salutation as
0: if it, it was the Indian god that she's talking to. It's it's just, it's such a creepiness that more evokes with this language stuff. We laughed about Netley being made sick as he starts to see the bigger picture, but I felt some of that dread reading this stuff. For sure. You know, like there's such setups to what you know are inevitable, gruesome endings. These characters are so pathetic in so many ways and to, to just read pages of Gaul's
1: setup, it's
0: really disturbing.
1: Yeah. There's this weird piece, and I'm, I, I'm sure he touches on it in the appendix, uh, where he makes Netley more kind of complicit in the action, you know, take a swipe or something. Uh, could this be, you know, when they find the body in real life, like there's like one cut that seems amateurish, but all the other ones are surgically perfect, so Alan Moore's just building that into his, his narrative. Because, dude... When you read the appendix, which I only glanced over whenever I would have, like, maybe a little trouble reading a thing, I'll read the appendix. And the amount of people walking out of bars is corroborated in books that he read, you know. And these people are incidental. Like, these people are for witness play a little bit later. Um, but it's as accurate as possible down to down to to those degrees
0: i was going to ask you about the appendix i actually run two bookmarks in my book so that i can flip between appendix and and foreground for that exact reason it's so extensive and it's revealing like what information exists and where it comes from right that's really cool about uh making that cut i didn't make that connection but that is why you would put it in there because it's like there's a record of this odd cut how how would you explain this with gall and like it is explained it's fascinating to read the appendix and go back and forth because all those pieces. And again, this is the uh, the, the uh, mind hunter, you know. Right. With I just picture Alan Moore having all these threads connecting everything, and then like adding the fictional scenes, you know, in between. And there aren't that many. Like like it's it's rare, but he'll note whenever something's completely fabricated. But it is fascinating as a storytelling thing to kind of like go back and forth between those notes and see where this stuff is coming from. And I would be wrong if I guessed which parts I think are made up and which parts are accurate,
1: or or at least historically recorded. Sure, except for when Sir William goes in modern day and there's a skyscraper and he's <laughs> looking at that. I think I think you would be right about that. I part. would guess that one. Yeah, figure that one out. <laughs> I mean, we could keep going on with this with this first chapter, but basically, first body's discovered, and the entire scene is kind of run over. You know, like. Once again, the wire. If you if you read that the book that inspired the wire, they talk about the crucial like first first day where you need to collect evidence because the evidence, you know, just your regular patrolman is gonna step on important things and all that. Like we we're witness to that throughout this whole series.
0: Yeah, the pieces are, are really incredible and it, it speaks to the whole way this story is put together it's almost like i don't know 85 percent of these pieces more has pulled from reference material right and if you lay those out chronologically and where they overlap and then he plugs in the little extra interstitial pieces you need to just kind of make this fit it's it's a it's the wildest story to read in that regard because of what he's pulling from in terms of reference and then it's like i remember reading this the first time and being like oh clearly that's jack the ripper and that's not exactly what Moore is saying, but it's so convincing. Right.
1: That chapter ends with uh, Sir William Gall kissing his old lady who's sleeping cozy in bed. And look at how, in that middle panel, how how uh, pleased he is with himself while he's laying there.
0: That's another fun thing not to gloss over is that drawing style. This mm-hmm. is putting the washes in here. Because we, you know, we talked about that linen paper earlier. Uh, I, I haven't seen that for a couple of chapters. Right. But you see Campbell you know, making a giant 500-page graphic novel and yet still being able to experiment visually.
1: Chapter 6 is where we introduce our inspector guy. He was he, he escaped Whitechapel for, for a while, it, it, hoping to just keep going up the ladder. Uh, he was working Scotland Yard for a little while. But guess what, man? You're going back. And why is he going back? All chips are against him. There are other Brother Masons who are going to be tasked with running the Whitechapel cases, but they know the deal. They know what, exactly what's happening. One guy takes the is going to straight up Switzerland, neutral territory, man. He's getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and then... And, and, and bad-mouthing the
0: investigators on the way out the door <laughs> saying that he probably could have solved this case in a couple of days if he had been around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it is. All, all the chips are stacked against him. Again, you know, this is stuff that Moore's pulling from some of this reference where it's like, not only is this unsolved, but all these different pieces make it look like it wasn't supposed to be solved. I would draw attention to like these middle panels for several of these pages where we see like the victim, we see the victim's file. A lot of emphasis as you're reading this, look at these middle pages, you know, two master storytellers, that center panel is often, a, you know, it's, it's the center of the page, like everything's built around there. And there are several of these pages as we go through where that's the pivot, you know, like that's the important moment, important image, the takeaway and for
1: several pages it was Polly. Right, another important piece that they play around with storytelling-wise in this chapter is uh, panel one of uh, these pages, the time zone basically mm-hmm. and the, the calendar date will be seen in various ways. Usually with this little day calendar that you rip off you know, as, as the days go by, sometimes it'll be a newspaper where uh, we see the progression of the day.
0: I have a note here for uh, page six where they talk about whoever did these crimes. It's almost like surgery, right in terms of precision, you know, like organs are being removed and it's and there aren't extra cuts, yeah you know, like whoever's pulling those organs out knows where to find them and is making one cut and pulling them out uh this story reminds me of surgery because there are so many details and they just weave together it's immaculate like again on the reread like this thing is singing to me you know the stuff that i would have glossed over the first time or didn't register or i didn't realize make note of this on the reread it is just a revelation of like one thing after another of all these pieces this this is a 5,000 piece puzzle that's being put together here not a 500
1: piece right look at this kind of thing it's like the fade out panel Eddie Campbell does this kind of stuff again
0: and again where he's, like, trying different kinds of drawing styles f- for different narrative purposes. That's a good example, and there there are quite a few of them that we're going to see. It really is kind of a master class. I don't – you know, it, it, that's the way to think of it. This is graduate school-level comics making here. Like, don't try this for your <laughs> first comic. Don't look at this as a how-to for to try to make a comic when you're beginning. But, man, 20 years in, you look at this, and it is just – it's masterpiece. It's it's these are master craftsmen, really top of their game.
1: Right. There's Polly again, man. We got to got to take a look at the bod. And then there's that like real gross guy who's like talking to the dead. Bo- I think it's her husband, like talking to the dead body. Like I forgive you for all the things you've done to me.
0: I'm glad you say that, Ed. I, I that stands out to me. Yeah. It's it points to the gender issues that come up again and again in this story it points to the class issues and what a dick that husband is yeah you know like this woman has just had years of her horrible living and he's forgiving her on her after being cut apart by some butcher
1: yeah and with the inspector there that has to make your spidey sense tingle a little bit when you have somebody who's like lacks that kind of compassion first panel there you get to see another treatment of letting us know what calendar day it is leather apron becomes uh a, a a name out of thin air that people hear again and again as being associated with uh the the last seen person with Polly or whatever but this this uh what is his name abernathy Aberline. Aberleen, that's it yeah, yeah yeah he's suspicious of that but wants to break the monotony of the day up and of course, a proper Englishman would never be able to uh, be so vulgar.
0: You know what? I this is the this is the surgery part, and that's exactly what he's describing. So he goes through some of these other like murders that they're trying to figure out any connection, any find any of these suspects like like your leather aprons. And he says Smith was raped and tortured. That's cruelty. I can understand cruelty. Right. Tabram was killed by frenzied and repeated stabbing. That's rage. I understand that too. This one's more methodical. Someone near enough did surgery on this woman. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, it's this is this is serial killer shit too. You know, like this is the stuff of I don't understand what this is. Right, this defies uh, typical human response.
1: Yeah, and and how funny it is that it's it'll be sixty years later when the idea of like profiling these people is even considered because when it was being done it was still being shit on you know what i mean like we kind of accept it now a hundred years after this
0: yeah it'd be impossible like even the idea nobody even has that idea like he's just racking his brain trying to figure this out and the benefit of this is written a hundred years later right whenever we do understand profiling and stuff but yeah that would have been incredible to propose something like that
1: so once again man it couldn't have been a proper Englishman who did this but there's uh, Buffalo Bill Cody's in town
0: this is a really I, I enjoyed this sequence a lot going back through this some of the stuff that I okay so Buffalo Bill Cody would be like the wild west traveling show yeah It'd be like we're gonna go to England we're gonna have Native Americans we're gonna have cowboys and shooting and horseback riding wild wild west yeah on a show and so that's what this is these are outsiders that happen to be in in town so we don't think an Englishman could do this kind of dastardly deed. Let's go interview the outsiders, and it's really interesting because it gives more a chance to have the showmanship kind of uh, idea put out there. You know, these guys are put on a show, or like give them illusion, not realism. Talks about America is selling bullshit, and uh, you know that's what people want. It's it's it feels like fake news. It goes into the fake journalism that's going to happen. Right. Uh, one of the threads that come out of this, but it's really interesting, this idea of like storytelling and selling storytelling to the public right, really great stuff,
1: Kayfabe, if you will,
0: yeah exactly, exactly. And again, this is probably the benefit of being written a hundred years later. Sure, but it's really fun to read it and think about the influence that this kind of stuff has on how we perceive the world and reality. And, and it's pretty heated, you know, and, like these oh, they, are two
1: different. They, the <laughs> Americans are like, you know, take a fucking, like, we're out, man. We know our rights.
0: This guy is reading this book that's like prophecies and it's prophesying the rise of uh, America as a superpower. Right. <laughs> and of course, Aberleen's like, what are you talking about? What do you, you know, what are
1: you guys going to be? Superpower. Yeah. And um, there's going to be war with Germany. The Queen's Germany. Us fight the Queen's Germany. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, it's, it's wild,
0: this scene. Very fun, very odd.
1: Yeah, and at the beginning of the chapter, you, you have the damn, uh. you have the uh, birth of
0: Adolf Hitler. This is the, um. this is another in my notes where I reference The Wire. It is just like seeing like every single connective thread possible that can go in here. And right. then where do you get to play as a storyteller? And, you know, I think Alan Moore has some fun with this scene. When I it, have some fun reading it. One
1: of the next places we're going to be going to, like you said, man, the yellow journalism of, uh, of, of creating news. So we're gonna tell you what day it is by way of the newspaper headline.
0: Yeah, this is a great scene. This is where a crowd gathers at where one, where the body was found.
1: Yeah, and r- so, rubber necking, like- uh,
0: Taking know,
1: pictures, selfies. Posing, posing, like, hey, look, I'm leather apron and we're walking around <laughs> like a <gull>. ghoul.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also this part, 100 percent spot on with human behavior absolutely
1: people taking selfies at ground zero after 9 11 but this is uh 9 6 we're going to be putting this lady in the ground now following the whole trajectory of like her her death and and all the posthumous stuff that, that comes along with with death um, we get to see the, the Peckerwood husband again. Uh is he a suspect? Nah, he's a crass, he's gross, but he's a bitch. He ain't he he ain't gonna he ain't kill anybody. And the days are just going by, man, and, and Aberleen is getting nowhere. Getting nowhere fast.
0: Yeah, and he's he's fully back in Whitechapel now. And not happy about no, it. No, they go through and describe like this is a description of Whitechapel and what it was like at the time. It's it sounds like hell, yeah. you know, he describes at one point like nine year old kids having brother and sister having sex in the open streets. There's no lodging like er- almost everybody there is kind of homeless. Yeah, it is just really, really dark like this is a place. This is the worst of the worst like and it, it makes it feel that way. You know, Moore does a really good job establishing that setting as just being awful. And then I love this drawing. Because you have a very sharp, in-focus Aberline as he's entering this bar. And the inside's just this impressionistic drawing that to me is like, oh, everybody's a little out of it. They're a little bit drunk. It's almost like looking into the bar, you see the drunkenness. Right. And it contrasts in the same panel with the sobriety of outside of the bar.
1: Crazy bar setting. Uh, we got our Aberline. He's bumped into one of the future future uh, dead prostitutes. And he's got to kayfabe his way into a conversation with her. Uh, almost almost screws up, man. Talks about, you know, says he's like a leathersmith or something, and he's working on it. Oh, it's his case I'm working on. Oh, what kind of case? Yeah. He, oh, saddle. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those good human moments, man. I love
0: that police newspaper that they end the page on. If you look in the appendix, he says that's, you know, that's based on the actual newspaper. So it's kind of cool to think of um, how visual those newspapers would have been at the time, probably like for comics. A, well, for mostly illiterate populace, right?
1: Right. And then it turns to leaves. Fall setting, I guess. Yeah. Oh man. Torn all envelope, right. man, chapter seven. This is uh here here goes a bunch of the players involved. We got we got uh the dude that was with the the prince sitting there amongst his paintings, all salty.
0: The guy who really set this whole thing in motion.
1: Yeah. We got Gaul, we have newspaper dudes. Leather apron. Look, this could be like the uh You know these are the ancestors to um the watchmen uh gossip gossip news news magazine people it's amazing to think of him (laughs) as the ancestors but the books created afterwards so really the watchmen dudes from from 1986
0: are the ancestors (laughs) right this is the uh the proposed leather apron guy and he's freaked out he's he's holed up oh yeah he's scared yeah
1: so we get a little bit with all with all of them man there's the prostitutes getting together, they know that their homegirl is toast. One of the more, like, homely of the prostitutes, the more rotund one, Zoftig, if you will, she invites herself along to this, uh, to the bar to hang out with some dude that was gonna, gonna make time with the other prostitute girl, and they start a whole schmaz, which, basically, it's, we need to separate the girls, and we need, we need, uh, our girl to, kind of be on our own
0: yeah and it it continues that thing of just the uh lack of compassion that exists in these characters lives you know even against each other it's like dog eat dog and and the oddness of the drawing in that
1: panel yeah
0: very very uh I, i don't know the narrative reason for it but it's another example of um Eddie Campbell experimenting, or or at least, you know, a panel that's kind of atypical
1: for the rest of the book. Right. Oh, yeah, and those girls, like, what what were they fighting over, like, at the very beginning? A fucking piece of soap.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, one says the other one robbed the pickpocket of the guy.
1: Yeah, but even before, like, what got them to the bar, it's like they have to negotiate for a piece of soap, and the girl's like, well, you know what, you better give it back to me. Yes. After. What a horrible, like
0: it's, it's such a depressing, depressing existence because her one job is cleaning this guy, this pensioner.
1: Yeah. And really that's just, you know, that's that Japanese soap land shit where it's not about cleaning anything. It's about fucking, yeah, it's it's, jerking about this, jerking a dude off. (laughs) Look at this after that chapter we read about, you know, like the 12 year olds getting married and stuff. You see this, like these little kids that are like a couple. Wow, man. Look at that tree.
0: It's great drawing. It's really cool how it breaks that, the panel grid, too. Yeah. It breaks the panel grid, and all you hear see is Annie, who is going to be the victim in this chapter. Yes. And it looks like that's photocopied, maybe. It, at, it, uh,
1: it does. It's hard to tell. Although distorted.
0: Yeah, it is hard to tell. I, I I don't know for sure that that's a photocopy, but it wouldn't surprise me just based on how experimental a lot of this artwork is.
1: Yeah. These are the uh, the newspaper guys who are conjuring up some some kayfabe to try to sell more papers
0: yeah this is a great this is really reminds me of wire season five where they talk about you know we sold a bunch of papers off of i don't know if it was leather apron or or a different a different one but basically giving a name to whatever this killer is that's how you
1: sell papers get a character on that front page right and so their plan is to write a letter if it bleeds it leads annie's been pretty bad man she's she's hasn't been indoors all day she's a walk-in zombie she's sick can't afford food yeah hasn't eaten for a couple of days a girl gives her a couple shillings or pence or whatever they call them shits and uh under the express purposes of not using it for alcohol a couple of pages with our proposed leather apron guy who's shitting his pants waiting waiting for the for the popos to show up
0: yeah there's a cop that has him sort of uh that's who the cop thinks it is and that cop what's his name upright jack i think right and and they speculate on whether that's earned or because it's uh, ironic but either way like he's known for bringing in his suspects and getting confessions <laughs> and you can imagine what that looks like in a white chapel uh dungeon cell and
1: i think when at, at some point the newspaper even like names the guy before it's officially supposed to be named so so he's he's holed up just just biding his time
0: Love this drawing too. Really beautiful
1: lines. This is, you know, it's fog is setting in there late at night. Death rides a pale horse everywhere except Whitechapel because death rides a fucking black carriage with little Netley sitting at the top. When you see that, somebody's not long for this world. A lot of penmanship on this. A lot of a lot of a lot of pen strokes on this spread here, man. Yeah, I like
0: whenever Campbell does stuff like this where he's bending his lines. It really feels like light radiating out. Mm. You know, you see it again here. I Look don't know, something about it's just very effective to me in terms of having that almost light going out into the night.
1: Look at these little desperate hands yeah. showing up, man. And this and this would be that house where it's like, give me my four pennies so that uh, you could you could just have a place to stay indoors for the night. Yeah, and
0: she's there just begging, "Let me sit here for a little bit." Yeah,
1: and he's like, "Don't, I don't want to hear you even breathing." This is a neat
0: transition, so remember this, uh, this last panel. Whenever we flip the page
1: to the next start, you know, it's almost the same shape and everything. Right, the coins being the eyes. She uh, she overstayed her welcome, man. She stayed in there too long, so she has to she has to bounce. She has to get the hell out, and uh, she bumps directly into Netley, who is the answer to all of her problems. I have this rich guy who's been keeping his eye on you, and he's doing so well that he even uh, can afford grapes, which of course are roofied up. Here's another uh, instance where Gaul, uh, where, where you could probably guess the Alan Moore invention. Uh, yes
0: and no. There's, there's two stuff. So if you read the appendix for this, mm-hmm. the story is the, the people that live in this apartment would report these ghost-like visions of a couple walking by the window decades into the future, sure. you know? Um, and so Alan Moore spins that around and makes those ghosts be Gaul and, and uh, Annie Chapman walking by. And so we see from the ghost or, or from these, you know, like the ghost, you know, point of view of Gall looking in. Right. And, you know, he plants the idea of Gaul having these visions of God and things early on and talking about different visions. So it kind of makes sense that Gaul is experiencing these like really strange moments. Yeah. And, and it's kind of neat that it's based on a ghost story right it's just he's now taking the ghost point of view
1: that's pretty cool that is super cool man
0: and it's another one of those details like how's he even find that information
1: just one sentence in one book probably i remember i forget who the author was it came to town but they they uh, were promoting their their latest book and at the top at the talk that they were giving they said they read like you know six books you know thousands of pages of stuff and what ultimately ended up in the book was like three pages of material from like all this, ma- all this shit that they absorbed, but it creates a richness.
0: I made that comment. I think it was on our last from hell video about the documentary filmmaker that would shoot a hundred hours and end up with 90 minutes. And somebody's like, that's nothing. Some of these documentary filmmakers shoot thousands of hours and end up with the 90 minutes. So it, it is true, you know, and I'm sure Alan Moore went through thousands of pages to get to this point.
1: And this point is the the end of Annie you know, she's done. Does he take her, he takes her wedding ring. What a vicious bastard.
0: Yeah. It's some of those little things I think is what Alan Moore has to make work. You know, right. like there'll be a record of, there was a ring on her finger. There were abrasions, like it was taken off or yeah. there were pennies, you know, at her feet, you know, like these, these little details that are kind of odd. And so sometimes I think those are moments with gall that are a little bit weird, you mm-hmm. know, like, like he might explain them as like almost divine or You know why are you laying that stuff out right the reason is because a hundred years later there's a record of that stuff being laid out
1: yeah and all the stuff with the, the 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 guts on the shoulder and all that how it points to certain masonic rituals and junk it is great
0: though um you know you see a couple of people come out of this building and walk by or then they find the body it's neat how that stuff there are records of like who sees what and when yeah.
1: And the amount of people that are there. And also narratively, uh you, he, he could, he adds a piece about it's, the case is being stepped on. The evidence is getting fucked with and people are being made aware of it. Like civilians are coming into the scene and taking souvenirs and picking stuff up. And this particular one, if you read the appendix of it, grape skins
0: were found in this alleyway, you know? So, like, great detail. Great yeah. detail. I mean, those grapes, we see that every time with gall. Right. Apparently, there were some found that were, you know,
1: written about in the evidence for the case. Did you read anything about that laudanum stuff being found in the girl's body? But as I say that, it makes me wonder like, how how intricate were autopsies back then? Like, could they run those kind of tests? Yeah, I didn't, I
0: didn't... I don't remember reading that, but also there's a lot to read here. Yeah. You know, I bet you could reread this book your whole life and and continue to find details. Right. So I'm I'm certainly not an expert at, at, you know, at this
1: work. And this kind of thing is like, you know, done over a decade's worth of time. It has to be done. Even, even if you could, even if Eddie Campbell could draw 500 pages in 500 days, the amount of stuff put in here, it's, you need a lot of time.
0: This is the, uh, the cops, Aberleen, you know, asking if you believe this leather apron thing. And he's like, "Thick," the name of the cop. He gets results. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's not busting Jack the Ripper, but bring in that poor, the poor guy that he thinks is guilty. And, and I guess beat him around a little bit. See if you can get a confession
1: out of him. Yeah, man, it'll, you know, make the day go by easier. Like you'll have, you'll have a cleared case.
0: And Aberline dresses him down. Johnny Upright is uh, is is what that cop's known as, and he really uh, that whole page is him just dressing him down like, "You're you're out. Don't let me hear your name and see your name in the newspapers again."
1: Continuing the whole thing of of uh, just an impossible situation for this Aberleen guy, and you know he's 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 our protagonist in a story. He's our hero of of this story. And we know that he's going to fail. So it's like you stack the chips against the guy so that it makes the failure a little more acceptable or something.
0: It adds to the dread. Yeah. Because we see him as an old man still regretting this case. Right. We hear about him working for 15 years to get out of Whitechapel, and then he's put back in, and we know the outcome is terrible for him. Yeah. He lives with it the rest of his life. It's just one more dreadful element of this whole
1: dreadful story. And And every other page, there's another sequence another part of the conspiracy and sometimes like you know when it's the news guys the conspiracy like they're involved in their own conspiracy so they're conflicting conspiracies involved in this thing to just create confusion and then Gaul has his own extra bit of conspiracy that he's going to like try to weave into the thing so there's like three separate strands sending this guy on all these different directions and that's just frankly a waste of time yeah you
0: have to wonder like this probably happens all the time when somebody's trying to you know a journalist or a detective investigating anything is trying to get to the to the case even if it's well intentioned just all the chaotic noise and information and everybody trying to be helpful even if it's well intentioned it still just messes up you know it still just adds cloudiness and Information that's not useful or maybe not accurate to these kinds of investigations like even if you're doing your best It's still not necessarily going to uh, to to, to work out that way and Certainly in this case, it's not everybody trying to do their best those journalists are trying to sell sell papers like they say we need a villain You know like it has nothing to do with helping the, the poor detective
1: So let's throw another monkey wrench into the whole system and introduce a second lady named Mary Kelly
0: yeah, this part uh, we mentioned in the first four chapters at times being confused by characters. This sequence confused me quite a bit. This is a because
1: these are new characters out of left field.
0: Right. 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 And again, you know, they're here because it's based on real people that were involved. But it's a little bit confusing as a, as a reader.
1: I, it makes me wonder if these are discoveries that Alan Moore made around like years through. The exactly. Be- because, you know, if he had it to do over again, he would build them in earlier. You know, let's just throw more confusion at uh, Aberline, And this time the confusion, it's even going to touch uh, Sir William Gall a little bit.
0: Yeah, and real quick, it, we see the two surviving prostitutes kind of crying about They still think it's the local gang yeah, the that is extorting mob. them. And they need a lot more money than they can scrape together. It's why they started the blackmail plot, was to get that money to pay off the gang for protection. So they're under the impression that local gang is now... It's killing them yeah like they're not getting their money soon enough and two of their friends are now dead
1: and they are going to do everything they can to uh to get that cash to just like end this misery that's 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 their motivation for this issue
0: by the way when you're a uh, a new character a new poor woman in this setting and you're introduced in this book it's not
1: good no you're not you're not here for to solve the case oh, no <laughs> no Cut to the prince who knows that this bloodshed is being done in his name. And he's a gay guy? He's like bisexual or something? Is that what we're I, I, right I,
0: there? I can't. I don't know. It feels like that's the implication of this scene. But my takeaway is it's this guy who married a woman, had a kid, was pulled away by his uh, grandmother, and doesn't, doesn't care at all about the kid or the, or the woman he married. Right. Yeah, just a little Lord Fauntleroy, really. Just deadbeat dad. Totally narcissistic, you know. He, he's worried about him and his relationship with this guy who refers to the queen as grandmother, and is like, "There's a note here, or I think the prince says that it's like you can you could be killed for that, right? <laughs> like, yeah, don't call her that.
1: We we can't we still hang commoners for calling her grandmother.
0: Commoners. I
1: like these kind of, I like these kind of images.
0: You know, like the street scenes, you know, like it's something that might just be a background of what's going on around
1: town. The perspective of this looks like it's traced from a photo, not the characters, but the background looks like it's got this like bubble lens. It is weird. Kind of yeah. image that that's looks like it was taken from a weird lensed camera. Throughout uh, the past couple of chapters, when we introduced Aberlene, he he would talk with mary mary kelly right yeah well, one no, of the She prostitutes. calls herself emma right but there was like the one girl who goes by two names which creates the confusion right
0: yeah i think i have a feeling a lot of these women may have used aliases sure because they do bounce around with names several of them the characters in this book bounce around with names hey
1: man the strippers at club erotica her name ain't cherry <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> you're staying in the same town man you better fucking use a fresh name or else you're you're gonna have a stalker or two. So the the one prostitute, she she's she's got major money troubles. Aberlene is like the one good guy in her life because he's he needs le- he he needs clues, and he's undercover here. He's not looking to trick. Uh, he gives her a couple dollars and she thanks him for, for it. Man, you didn't even try to fuck me, man. That's real cool of you. But then she kisses him and he's like, "Oh man, am I gonna to have to get tested?" <laughs> no you, i was you, thinking I he was fa- falling for but yeah okay i was thinking like oh man <laughs> do i got a bump on my lip now how long does it take for them to <laughs> <Shit>. come up <laughs> this is a pretty
0: fun sequence this is Aberlin going through the suspects and trying yeah. to figure out what works and doesn't
1: and he has two suspects and neither one of them are any good and he knows it Bullocks to one and uh you know fuck uh, lieutenant thick or whatever his name is so he's got to go back out on the streets go back home
0: see this is the moment why i was thinking he's falling for this yeah because when he's home with his wife she's being real nice to him because he was saying the name emma the night before in his sleep is his wife's name emma like i guess man, so. I, I
1: don't know if my wife would appreciate me calling out some other woman's name while i'm sleeping <laughs> sure yeah like it like it, it must be we got we got net netley getting caught in his feelings a little bit there's a ro- famous robert crumb called bobo bolinsky where it just shows the same character in like five different angles and to me this is like a version of bobo volinsky just see him in a bunch of different angles but he's obviously in a little bit of turmoil but not so much that he still can't uh help uh uncle uncle william gall out but he's got to get a little bit sauce to do so self medicating yeah
0: yeah he's expressed his uh how how difficult this is for him even talking about it in the beginning before any of it happened it was sort of had trouble with it
1: right Look, we got some Mason, some Mason imagery right there. Uh, And now this part, this part confused me a little bit when Gull meets with these dudes and they're like, you know, we got orders for you to stop the murders, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Gull is like, so this is sent after the first killing, but you say murders, like. Yeah, he
0: decides the notes
1: bullshit. Right. Which I guess it is. Yeah. You
0: know, this police commissioner is really not. This sucks. You know, these are the worst murders in, in, in Whitechapel London history or whatever, and according to this story, this police commissioner knows who's doing it, you know, like he's trying to just like, come on, please stop doing
1: this. Yeah. And it's so the commissioner knows, but so do some like bo- straight up bobbies. like, we'll, we'll see. We'll see those moments play out here in a little bit as well. well
0: yeah, we will. I don't know if they if they know exactly what is going on or who's doing it. They just get little bits of orders. So one of the orders that that Gall leaves here is like, if Marie Kelly's crosses your path, any of your policemen, let me know about it. Right. And so they have those orders, but maybe not necessarily knowing why yeah. somebody's looking for that, her.
1: That's fair. These backgrounds ridiculous.
0: It's beautiful. All, all the drawings are just stunning. Yeah, the throwaway kind of backgrounds, you know, little signage, the bricks, the alleys, the streets, the cobblestone streets, it's all just
1: amazing. So Aberlene gave our girl enough money, more than enough money, that should satisfy that Nichols mob, um, the people that she suspects as killing her homies. So she meets up with them, and once again, man, the lack of streetwise in these prostitutes, like nowadays, man, chicks are much hipper she makes sure that these are the nickels guys and they're like yeah sure she gives them the loot that she got and they're like huh what and and it becomes very clear they tell her that oh yeah they're not the ones we didn't do those ladies in those ones meaning that they definitely have done similar things in the past and she is fully desperate now she got rid of her money. She thought that this was gonna be, this was gonna solve all her problems. She's back at square one, and she doesn't even have the loot to stay at the little DOS house.
0: Great moment. Yeah. Cause this is, her hopes of survival are gone. She is as clueless now as, as most of the, as the police, you know, as the detective in terms of like, wh- what do you mean it's not you? Right. I have no
1: other leads.
0: There's a psycho killing my friends
1: yep and really sold well in that last panel with just a black abyss her in outer space
0: yeah what's what, what's more hopeless than just a tear of black ink yep fucking netley man comes across so a couple pages ago we see a couple of policemen uh tele- telephone telegraph tele policeman right whispering to each other uh in there and you know passing through basically that we've gotten this woman whose name we were told to look for. She's in drunk tank. Right. And so he, that part is starting that network of information is starting from the police. This is one of the the original prostitutes. Yes. This is Liz. So she's on the list, unfortunate for her. And I think this is the one that he says, wait for an hour. I'm going to go get, uh, get my, my master. Who's been looking for you.
1: Yeah. And you know what? He's a rich ass dude. Like here, man, I'm going to buy a half a pound of grapes. And I'm going to let you get a couple. And now, as if all
0: the great art that we've seen so far isn't enough, it's raining. So now we get to see, like, the wheels going through the wet streets and splashes and stuff. Eddie's getting bored and just showing off now.
1: (laughs) But you know how it goes, man. Alamore read it.
0: Rain that night. I was going to say, he probably (laughs) does know exactly what the weather was whenever this second body or third body is found.
1: I consulted a poor Richard's almanac from 1899. Have some Marxists. Talking some sh- talking some shit, because Alan Moore probably read that there was a Marxist meeting. The first witnesses of the dead body were probably Marxists.
0: Some connection to the whole class stuff that's going—that's you know, a big part of this book. It's just connecting as many of these dots as you can.
1: The murders are getting more and more kind of careless. More pressure's mounting, right? But also, Gall is like. He's enjoying it to the point where he's, like, losing his logical part of his mind. It's, like, psychosexual or something at this point. And the dude is, like, fucking into it.
0: And by the way, his prey is looking for it, too. You know, you, you, you give off the wrong vibe and these women are on edge, you know, right. now that it's happened to a couple of their friends. Like, they're out of their minds with paranoia. Right. You know, if that grape doesn't taste right, what's go- what are you
1: feeding me, dude? Yeah. Look at Gull just lunging. Yeah.
0: Netly, netly helping out. This is... Um, brutal stuff.
1: It is. Brutal, brutal.
0: Individual black blood. Very dark. And as he gets away, knife still in hand, the uh, the cops find him. Right. Say, I've been looking
1: for you because, uh, are you looking for this lady? <laughs> yeah. But then to, to throw one more chink in the armor, one more set of obfuscation to who possibly did this, this building is contains like a jewish shop or something and he's gonna write you know the the jews are the men who will not be blamed for nothing whatever that means and he spells it incorrectly on purpose
0: yeah uh, which is a masonic spelling however we don't know that he wrote this this is one of the bigger um things that alan Moore sort of what we know is this was found written next yeah. to that bloody rag right um it's speculative on moore's part
1: that this was written to kind of just add to the to the chaos to the noise of all of this how about this piece here it feels it feels very like incongruous to all the art we've seen for about 250 pages he's laying down some some zipitone and uh has entered guy davis baker street <laughs> yes kind of uh line art <laughs> it's so different it
0: is i i agree it's I, I don't know what the intent is there you know i i'm not sure but Maybe then he's the also is because by the way the character we see there that's the prostitute Gaul was after right he picked the wrong person because of the name confusion um from the police you yeah. know but the woman that he killed is not the woman he was after and he laments that it's a shame there were only four of them five would have had a lot more power if there were five right mary kelly comes home you know despite being a prostitute like she she does have sort of this common law husband but he did hear that like he heard liz was killed which was true and he heard mary kelly was killed and i mean like this everybody's obsessed with this this is your front page of the newspaper so everyone's aware of this happening and that's what he heard and so when she comes home it's relief for both of them, but then terror for her because she hadn't heard this. And then her name was used. Like, yeah. this is bad stuff. How did you have to leave? Oh yeah. You know, like they have to get out. Right. I guess it's just not an option, but
1: yeah, man, there's,
0: if you're her, you know, you're done at this <laughs> point. Like all of my friends have been killed. Somebody was killed with my name. Never use your name again. Like change your name.
1: this page yeah exactly
0: tell your husband not
1: to call you that that's not your name anymore because somebody's after you amazing panel here because yeah this is not comforting those are not comforting looking hands they're big ominous looking hands even though it's our husband that's that's a scary image the
0: hands are great throughout
1: this everything
0: you know Campbell's great but there's so much emphasis on hands from the surgeon you know cutting people up to this kind of stuff it's really it's brutal
1: but beautiful the hatching on the clothes instead of the outside. Boom! Four more chapters down, Jimmy, and we got uh, f- three dead prostitutes and one uh, poor poor lady who had a similar name to another prostitute. Still gonna go downhill from here. Let's continue our uh, from hell coverage, chapter nine through twelve, I believe. And uh, got some questions about like our thoughts on the uh, the color edition. This is the first time I've seen it.
0: Yeah, I don't have too much to say about it. It's fine. I, I don't begrudge creators being able to, uh, you know, resell their work over and over. That's the great thing about owning your work. Um, and certainly some people won't look at a black and white comic. So if this is what it takes to get you to read from hell, by all means, I do like the black and white presentation. Um, one cool thing about the color is it is by Eddie Campbell. So you are getting the artist applying the color and, and you know. Sometimes that's a fight between uh, one artist and another. I think if you have the same artist, you're often gonna get the best results. This is a tough sample to look at because this chapter is such a specific thing. Yeah. This has to be the hardest chapter to color, in my opinion. <laughs> but it gives you a, a, a taste of what you can expect if you are curious
1: what the color edition looks like. All right, let's jump in, man. Uh, you know, We said it before, we said it again, the beauty of the, the Eddie Campbell artwork and the intricacy of, of the Alan Moore story it's coming to its uh to its climax and uh these this video we'll call it the uh the downward spiral of sir william gall man interesting ed in my notes i actually
0: describe this as a spiral this chapter chapter nine but it's not gall in this chapter yeah sure in this one it's mary kelly who we have seen all her friends have been murdered now viciously horribly her husband thought she was murdered because there was a prostitute or or a woman killed who was using her name mary kelly she knows her days are numbered and
1: this is the chapter uh of her kind of losing it (laughs) because i mean why wouldn't you sure and i thought you were going to say was a chapter of aberlene uh spiraling down man because he he's not uh doing too well his patience is uh wearing thin this ish
0: It it is it is a fair point. Like everybody at this point is in bad shape. The police commissioner I think resigns either I think in this chapter. It's everything's wrong. You know, like this has gotten totally out of control. The crowd, the the people of the area. You could say they're spiraling. You know, like they're chasing the newspaper articles that are having letters. Tons of letters are being written by Jack the Ripper, you know, allegedly and we'll see the people of London doing that, you know, going back into their office to finish up some work and meanwhile they're penning a fake letter from Jack the Ripper. It's, it's incredible what the net that Alan Moore
1: casts right. in terms of like, what does this event
0: mean? And how do we see it through the eyes of so many different people that are involved in it, even casually, just people that are buying the newspapers.
1: Yeah, and right here from the start, we have a guy selling tchotchkes that are gonna be like little totems to protect you from uh, getting getting your guts ripped out by uh, Jack the Ripper.
0: Yeah, that referenced some mad monk who had killed somebody there centuries earlier. And I think in the appendix, it's it's not even sure that that's a real story. It's almost like just the perfect opportunity for somebody to show up with, with those tchotchkes. Spin a little bit of a tale and build on what's
1: already in the air for these people. Uh, William Gull was given a task by the Crown. Very simple. Uh, there are these four girls engaging conspiracy who who know one of our our uh, darkest secrets. Crown Prince is a friggin' douchebag and knocked up a commoner, and there's there's a threat to the crown that that was born floating around in some kind of orphanage right now uh what queen elizabeth did not say was splatter these chicks all over the cobblestones and uh create an uproar in the community we just wanted a simple disappear job why can't you be like harvey Kaitel in pulp fiction yeah. and just and just kind of clean up the situation without making too much of a mess so there's a sequence where where uh the queen is like William, you gotta, you gotta pump the brakes, man. You like, like we didn't ask for this. It's doing a little too much, and uh, with a few mere sentences, man, all that Sir William go has to do is equate what he's doing with the people that he's killing with being like Robespierre and the French revolutionaries, and she's like. You know, on a second thought, go ahead, do your shit. Yeah,
0: do what you got to do.
1: <laughs> Which goes back to his
0: Mason you know, Masonic order that he's a part of, uh, the Golden Dawn. Apparently, another one of these groups that is—that's what he equates to that French uprising. Uh, and we see him interact with that guy at this point. It's it's masterful the storytelling. Yeah. And uh, I've been talking about how if you're into conspiracy theory, if you enjoy conspiracy theory it is rife through this book. Yeah. And some of it's very obvious, you know, I mean, he's working, the police know him, they know what he's doing. He's sort of directing them to help both help him and keep the investigators in a different direction. So there's some very clear conspiracy stuff, but all the Mason stuff is just read conspiracy theory. It is rich with Masonic lore. And that's a big part of this story and and where Gaul especially is coming from.
1: At Gaul's house, man, is, 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 his resident Igor, known as Netley, who's getting a little he's tired of this though he he didn't sign up all he wanted to do was ride a, was drive a coach
0: yeah, Netley's been in over his head from the get go from the beginning when he's driving the coach around london and, and realizing that there are bigger designs at work here, poor Netley, but Dr. Gall's not letting him off either there's one they they have a job to do and they're not they're not finished with that job yet Man up Netley. <laughs> And we see Mary Kelly just, you know, I mentioned the spiraling. She's drinking. She's going to have several sexual partners in this last, I don't know, t- twenty hours of her life or whatever. Inconsolable, you know. She, it, it seems like it's it's fate that she's going to meet this horrible
1: end. It's not even that she's going to die. It's that she's going to be mutilated by this this butcher. And as the killings were escalating, it, well, as the killings were going down, there's just just the vicious nature was escalating. It'll reach its crescendo with her, of course. <laughs> there's a, the sequence with with Aberlene. He's given he's given uh, Mary like a couple extra, you know, a couple extra dollars like as a, as a loan. You know, she's very grateful. But at a certain point, he's like, you know, maybe next time when you pay me back, we could uh, go go re- get a room together. And it like just kills everything like it, it just you could see in like two panels, it destroys her whole perception of him even, man, where she's like, Damn, the one dude who was my friend and didn't wanna fuck me, wants to fuck me. There it is, man. That psychic medium guy who got dissed by uh Sir William Gall uh is like, I'm gonna cancel this motherfucker, man. I'm canceling this dude. <laughs> he hurt my feelings. I'm going to the police.
0: <laughs> Man, Gaul does really dismiss him just outright because the psychic when they meet, the psychic expresses his sort of admiration for Gaul and you know what he's done as a surgeon and and, and such holds him in such high regard
1: and Gaul's like that's how much I
0: disdain what
1: you do. <laughs> Man of science. Yes, even though he does see goat gods and shit like that
0: well that's even more how dismissive he is right like he's the only guy who's having these actual visions yeah ongoing inquest you know these scenes are are, you know uh i guess like public revelations of what has what is known um as well as having like witness testimonies and things of that sort i think a lot of this stuff if you read the append uh, the the notes at the back you see where a lot of these records you know how you have a record of this stuff right a lot of it comes out of these kind of public inquisitions and things right
1: this is one of the sequences with with uh, Sir William Gall and Netley that that I really dig, where they're going to add another set of fake, uh, you know, Jack the Ripper notes. Except this time, it is from the main guys. But Sir William Gall is from such uh, aristocracy that he can't even imagine how a dumb fuck would pen a letter yes. to, uh, you know, the cops or whatever. So he almost leaves it up to Net- Netley let's just say you were the killer. Right. How would you process a, a note to, uh, to the, the feds? And can you please do it? Do you know how to write? Can you please do it in your chicken scratch? By the way, drops a, a kidney
0: onto the paper. That's going to be a part <laughs> of our little letter, Netley. and uh Netley's So defeated, like his body language is just, just crushed. He's so in over his head and goal takes a minute, you know, to kind of explain like, yeah, of course you are, you know, we are in this. Is, we are in hell, you know. His interpretation of these mystical events of seeing that goat god and everything that's happening is that yes, that's what we're doing. We're we're battling these forces of good and evil. We are in hell, Netley. You should feel this
1: way. About, and of course, that's how you start the letter is the return address from hell. How about that, Alan? Uh, I mean, the Eddie Campbell hand styles, dude, as as Netley, pretty good, right? but it's not gonna be the only uh, cool hand style lettering we're gonna see from, uh, from Mr. Campbell. Yeah, it's a really nice
0: page. You know, if you were gonna buy a From Hell page, that'd be a really cool one to buy because of that interesting hand lettering. It's a great graphic design.
1: And then uh, you turn the page and we have, uh, you know, the people of London who are enjoying their pastime of penning these fake letters to, uh, to the media you know, you have, you know, a proper man of the house. Man of cloth. Is, is that a priest? I think so.
0: There's a holy Bible on his desk, and I think that's a collar. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's doing his thing, man. Guy at the pub. Kids. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and of course the kids would. But look at the lettering, all different from, from each. Some of them, you have to imagine that. Like, I don't know about you, man, but like when I would have some wall graffiti, I'd be like, hey, man, why don't you draw a little something right here? Maybe one or two of those is a different hand.
0: Mary Kelly uh, looking for strength in numbers, perhaps bringing bringing a, a another lover into the house.
1: You know what I was thinking? I was like, oh man, she's gonna put set this girl up for the okey doke, man. Like just just set her like get her toasted and bounce.
0: Dark. Joe's not very into it. Mary Kelly's uh, disappointed to yeah. say the least, angry, and you know different characters suggest to her like leave like you got to get out of here it's hopeless like she has no money she can't go anywhere right you know it sounds great but it's just not a realistic option
1: yeah even the prince like like you know sneaks out of the tower to tell her to get the hell out of there but that's like one of those you know when i talk about you know people of privilege like making suggestions to others uh and how it is fully ineffective like you get a page of that where the prince is just like oh yeah you got to go somewhere
0: one thing that happens in all of this, there's a window broken. She's trying to share her apartment with people. Again, I think trying to not be alone, and she hides a key in right inside the broken window. And Natalie gets hold of the key, yes, which is going to become important.
1: William Gall informing the uh, police commissioner that that he's got he's got one more round to to uh, to do, and the commissioner's just like, I'm done. It's over for me. We did everything we could. We tried to to get you to to stop, but No more.
0: Yeah, calls him mad, and uh, when Gall leaves, turns in his resignation.
1: Or writes his resignation. And the chapter ends right at the doorstep of uh, Mary Kelly.
0: Yeah, she takes a couple of uh, gentlemen suitors. They come and go, and then the final guy to uh, enter the house, we see Dr. Dr. Gall actually enter. Uh, He has a copy of the key from Netley, lets himself in, what a chilling way to end it. end this chapter yeah. knowing everything that has come up to this point, what a dark ending. And I think that's the longest chapter 58 pages. Like, mm-hmm. It is a lot of building, you know, building that suspense. Like we know she's going to be a victim. We know how history plays out and it's just getting to that moment. And it's a terrible page. We
1: have, uh, throughout this, this comic up to now, you know, these 500 pages we've read or whatever passage of time. Uh, over and over again with the little calendar and all that let's slow everything down to one dark disturbing disgusting night while uh, you know who is the last person you would want to put some surgical steel in the hands of perhaps some some kooky guy who's having crazy flashbacks acid trips seeing goat gods and uh, given free reign by the crown to do whatever he wants
0: what a uh, slasher too. totally you know it's it's a complete design like if you did a horror movie that had nothing to do with this that would be a, a good design for a slasher
1: type character agreed and uh, this chapter chapter 10 is just him I don't wanna say systematically uh, taking her apart because it seems pretty uh, pretty vicious but we're dealing with some nine panel grid of uh, cutting this lady to bits yeah if you read the appendix
0: for this chapter nobody knows exactly what happens in this room mm-hmm. what they know is the end result right uh, and so moore describes this as gaul's actions are based on a quote kind of speculative seance divination on his part and knowing moore's uh practices with magic um, it's it's very uh, entertaining to me to think about how exactly he got to this point What <laughs> what what was done to kind of achieve the writing of this particular chapter Extremely graphic. I didn't realize it, but you can find photos. There were crime scene photos of this, so you can find photos of Mary Kelly's remains. Yeah. Um, I don't recommend that you do that. It's shocking right. to me how graphic they are. Um, I like the idea that it's just systemic, That you know the way he's cutting this person up, because we see these flashbacks that have been um, built as part of the story, that he's having these moments of kind of flashing around. And he flashes back to, I guess, examinations, you know, dissecting human bodies whenever he was a student and explaining the different organs and things. And so, like, that's one of the bits of flashback that we see.
1: Weird flash forwards to, uh, you know, modern day. Like, this this dude is psychotropic, man. Like, he's... He's, uh, he's seeing visions. He's you know, fully gone.
0: There's your example of going back to his uh, classroom days and, and having to talk. You know talk to the instructors or or the whoever it is that's judging him through this process to prove his knowledge of anatomy
1: the linen paper is back
0: yes it is one of the details of this crime scene that stand out is that the kettle is melted and speculation on that is it has to do with burning up the heart which is a masonic ritual the idea of spreading the ashes of the heart but the heart being such a dense muscle that it has to be a super high temperature Reference to the anatomy lesson from uh-huh. uh, swamp thing right and this could be called the anatomy lesson too like we are having things described where different organs are, how you reach them, what they look like. Almost literally there are parts of this chapter that are, are an anatomy lesson.
1: This part right here, the drawing of it due to just cutting that fatty like leg tissue extra gross. Yeah Black ink every black ink abounds man. This is a bloody fucking mess.
0: Here we have the flash forward to the late 20th century, 100 years in the future or so. This is incredible. The office space. I spent years in that office space, and it, it's soul crushing. And that's how he describes it. Like Gaul is appalled by this. He describes women dress in a way that's just showing their sec, their, their sex their sex. I think is what is the word he phrase he uses. And the men have no response. It's like they're dead. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Like the the description, especially like it fits Gaul's character pretty well in his, where he's at. And then the computer images, it's right. just all very strange. This, this was one of the chapters when I read this the first time that really stood out to me. Yeah, me
1: too. Like, like I was going to say uh that this is, this is the one where it's just like, okay, this is the way they were selling this book. It's like based on this chapter or something.
0: You know what? There's one piece here, um, page 25. And there's a there's a flash here where he's being called Tom, Tommy and he says, I'm not Tom, I'm not Jack, I'm William. I don't know what that's a reference to and I couldn't find it in the notes. Right. That one stood out to me because most of the other stuff I think was fairly straightforward, but that I have no idea what that's a reference to. And here we see the heart being cut out and thrown into the fire. And it's just, I don't know, man. It it's the height of darkness yes he does it in a clinical way where
1: he shows no emotion throughout this whole thing chapter 11 the unfortunate mister drew and uh, the the lead is not buried with that title the Masons know that William Gall's running amok they gotta pump the brakes they gotta they gotta try to figure this out they gotta cease it and the murders are done the murders are completed and maybe you know the public imagination will be sated once they have a record once they have somebody
0: right that's that's the that's the puzzle that the police and the masons are trying to solve is like they've got to offer up somebody yeah you know you can't this can't just disappear without somebody hanging these murders on somebody and uh and right that's your chapter title fellow
1: we have uh mr druid who's a who's a teacher at the at the at the school and uh and also, the, the coach for the, the cricket team with all these young boys. Look, they, they did towel snapping in Victorian times. <laughs> these seasoned uh, law enforcement guys, when they see this crime scene, they, they've never seen anything like it. And she's been there for a minute, so the smells are crazy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fucking going on that bed, too, so there's all sorts of extra body fluids on that shit.
0: Yeah, they have to wait too. They're waiting for, I guess, the new commissioner. It, it's just the worst of the worst, as mm-hmm. bad as it can be. They're all there, and they can't really do anything except smell it
1: and look at it for hours. So the Masons, the Masons need a patsy, and uh, this Mister Drew guy, he doesn't. Ha- he's not. He's not of means. He's not upper class. Uh, he has no real family. No kids. Nothing like that. No. Nobody's going to miss him, they decide.
0: Aberlene goes to get his drink dressed up fancy on this day. You know, this is when he was hoping to collect that, that loan. Yeah. And uh, Emma's nowhere to be found.
1: Yep. And and he's real salty about it, man. She leaves a note and is just like, I got to go. When he sees a hooker on the street, he's going to take all of his rage out, all of his anger on Mary Kelly, on, on, on her. Telling the cops, man, go, go take this girl away. Cops like, yo, this is Hamsterdam. He's like, we let these girls do this here. He's like, not this time. This is the Mason's aside and things.
0: Yeah, we keep seeing the Mason, the, the secret ring. Right. As they're uh, making their plans, their concoctions, the conspiracy to figure out how to manage this.
1: And Gull is just more and more, like, he's, he's down the rabbit hole completely, man.
0: Well, he's done his thing, you know. Like, his whole takeaway is, like, he was put on this earth for a purpose and he didn't know what that was at the beginning of this book and that's part of having those visions and seeing that god figure this is his mission and once that last uh once mary kelly is killed he's done he's done this thing that's going to shape the 20th century that's going to keep the masons in the proper control that's his purpose in life and once it's over you know he can do whatever he wants
2: like at that point
1: he's carefree
2: yeah (laughs)
1: Mr. Druitt after the Masons get their targets set on him they uh they set him up for for his downfall it's a real good sequence too he gets called to the office and we saw those cricket players earlier one of the little boys who can't even look up and isn't even allowed to speak uh is is calling Mr. Druitt in for for uh, kissing him touching him and shit like that and just the, when you see this kid, you just, you just know the kid's being muffled. He's being forced to, to go along with all this shit. And Mr. Drew, it's done, man. Doesn't get to be a teacher anymore. And, and his whole world's just falling apart. Moore's a sick fucker, dude. Because, like, he, he sells it really well, like, throughout, throughout the whole issue. Just the, the, the downfall of this guy.
0: Yeah, there are pieces planted, too. Like, he outlines everything that's happening. There's a guy that, that works in his same building who's, you know, ex-cop. Like, it's, it's spelled out very clearly how this is going to work. Even getting him to uh, go have a drink, you know, confide in him. And one of the things that, that works really well is write down your feelings. Yeah. Which becomes essentially a suicide note. Right. Yeah, it is It is very uh, very sick, very gross. But you got to imagine, not the only time somebody's been framed up for uh, because you need to deliver... You need to
1: close the case. They they get him sauced up, take a drink, and then when this dude delivers, put, put a Mickey in the drink too. Yeah, because we don't want any resistance. <laughs> All right, this uh this guy delivers Mr. Druid to the to the coppers. The bobbies take hold of him.
0: This is a fun sequence. You see them putting bricks into his pockets. They're gonna throw him in the river. He's gonna drown. Yeah. Whenever they recover it. Oh, I guess it's in the next chapter. It is, but yeah, very whenever, beginning. Whenever they uh, describe this, it's very precise language, and it's stones in his pocket. And the guy's like, they were, they were bricks. And he's like, you write it out as stones, which is, again, another Masonic reference. Uh,
1: chapter 12, man, the apprehensions of Mr. Lees. Mr. Lees is that psychic medium guy, psychic to uh, Queen Elizabeth. This is a funny choice.
0: So he's summoning whatever spirit, you know, the queen wants to talk with somebody or whatever. I guess that's from her point of view, because in the beginning of the book, Lee admits that he wasn't a psychic. So right. I guess that's her imagination, not, not, uh, not what he's actually summoning. Of course, yeah,
1: yeah. And he's a real, like, he's, a, in, you know, in hacking, they call it social engineering. The easiest way to get a password is for you to give me your password by me asking you some questions, man. And, and he, uh, he plays that little social engineer game. With this guy right here who's... He's, he's looking for Sir William Gull's addre- address. You know, he's he's still uh, cranky. That Sir William Gall punked him down. So this is the issue where Sir William Gull gets canceled, man. The early form of Twitter was being a snitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty well done, too, I think. This Incredible.
1: Doctor. Very Incredible. compelling reading this. So he goes to
0: Aberleen. He sort of does his uh his little song and dance, you know, going into his, his his trance or whatever.
1: Yeah, shits his pants, has a tremor. But but gives
0: up the address and is like, you guys have nothing. Like, let's go find this dude. And it lines up. You know, like he's Aberleen's looking for a for a surgeon. He's looking for somebody that would be maybe in this other section of town.
1: Right. And but Aberleen is still like like uh, you know, I got nothing. Let's do it. They go to Sir William Gall's house. It takes a minute minute until they find out that they're in like the the uh the Surgeon to the Stars home and uh ask the wife about the murders. Like But even still, like Aberleen is leading the witness, man. He's like, listen, I know it's nothing, but we're here, we got this guy. He says that a, you know the spirits told him to come here. Uh does your do you know anything about your husband? She swears up and down two pages, man. And my husband is innocent and I'm going to tell the queen and blah, blah, blah. Until she drops the name and who the
0: guy is. Right. It's, it's your, uh, her royal majesty's surgeon. And Aberleen's like, Sir William Gall? This is a little bit of a bigger fish than I think he was hoping to encounter.
1: And it's great, man, because Sir William Gall pops in. May I help you? And uh with no resistance, when he finds out why the guys are there, William Gall's like, Oh yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did it. You wasn't a drink? The wife is going crazy. This is the moment where uh Gall even taunts Lee's
0: have you ever had a real vision, gets right in his ear and he's like, I
1: have. It. Yeah, and you see and you see Lee just shit in his pants, man. Uh when we have the, the questioning part here earlier, um where is it? There's a part where Lee looks so happy the whole, entire time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, until uh, until Gaul confesses, right? And the uh, the the power balance definitely shifts.
1: It's it's incredible. Like we see them outside, and they're like, "What do we do?" Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people who you know, the people who make the rules are breaking the rules. Like, what do you do in that scenario?
0: Yeah, goes goes to the police police chief and is like. Well, we got him. What, what, now what? <laughs> the police chief, of course, high up Mason. The Masons have their own way to handle this. And so that's, uh, that's his plan. So they go to get him. The, the Masons send for him to have kind of a, whatever the equivalent of a trial is.
1: They bring him in. Uh, enter Knight of the East. Yeah, and look at these guys. Like, how, how do you take these cats seriously, man, putting on their little gimmicks? And he doesn't. You know, whenever <laughs> they challenge him, he says, I have no peers here present and goes on to
0: explain like he's doing the work of god and and delivered from god to his ear like these
1: guys are they mean nothing <laughs> right and they let him bounce man but they're like they're trying to figure out we let this cat out of the cage what the heck do we do and uh the consensus agrees man he's insane so we have to we have to get him out of town we got to put him in an asylum and then let him talk like that's actually like one of the things that when when guys leave the CIA, when they descend from the CIA, like, that they talk about, like, we just let you say, we let you say whatever. Because some Okefenokee guy who's talking about seeing uh, spaceships, who's going to believe you anyway?
0: They need a doctor to sign off on his uh, mental whatever. And this is his son-in-law who is a doctor, but you see, like, the masons show up. They're like the men in black. Right. They talk about everything they could do. They could put a body in the ground and say it's him and then send him, you know, keep him sequestered
1: somewhere. And they just, they show, like, these long panels are just uh, their, their uh, fantasies of uh, Sir William Go. And they're, like, just enjoying it. You know, this is the Elks Club. These are a couple guys, like, just sitting around talking shit.
0: They also reference Druid. Rumors should come into circulation to confuse the scent. Say, for example, that the murderer were a deranged young man who took his own life after the crime by drowning in the Thames. Well, we've already seen, uh, here it is, pulling out that body. You know, like, it's playing out almost in real time as they're cross-cutting. Right. Um, Amazing storytelling. You know, it's it's several threads that are being woven through this chapter, uh, including possible futures and fantasies and stuff, but all concluding with, it's already done. Yeah. You know, like this whole book, this is the premise. It's already done.
1: Yeah. And it's great. We're on chapter 12. There's still a couple chapters to go up an epilogue or two. Uh, but there's more, there's more story to tell. I wonder where it's going. It's a wild. This is another one of those books that is
0: graphic novels such a, it just means binding. Right. But this is one of those where it was like before it just meant a spine on the side of the book. When people were really going for it, like we're going to do something ambitious here, Jimmy.
1: Let's we're wrap up uh, our our uh, From Hell coverage. Uh, we can go pretty quickly with the with the final bits of the actual meat of the story, but I'm I want to spend some time with the uh, the Gall Catchers double appendix epilogue, and uh, show off this From Hell companion that I just picked up. Got it. Uh, it came in the mail yesterday. flipped through it and. Off the bat i can easily recommend it all right chapter 13 this is where we end the frank Aberleen inspector part of the main uh from hell story
0: yeah he gets a minor promotion to this uh cleveland street detail where they're watching a they're surveilling a male brothel and in the process he goes into the candy the sweet shop which brings us all the way back to chapter one and uh basically he learns about the royal baby and with this revelation he kind of breaks down he runs back to the police chief he kind of talks to him about it and then he resigns like he's this is a nightmare as a cop this is a horrendous thing you know he got too close to it he was connected to that prostitute after seeing all these prostitutes horribly murdered and nobody really paying for it it's just too much
1: yeah and he it's visceral like it literally makes him sick Yeah, he's
0: told by the police chief. It's like, hey, man, keep your mouth shut, resign with a great pension or, uh, you know, we'll get rid of you. Yep, that has to be the worst feeling in the world. I'm sure that different people in different occupations have this position where it's like this is the right thing to do. This is what you think you're training for your whole life. And then you just can't act on it for whatever reason. And it's not just police. Right. You know, this can can have to do with any sort of business or whatever, but it's more captures it great you know like don't you feel for aberlene whenever you're in this position like he's gone through hell to get to this point and there's nothing he can do about it
1: yeah it's really cool too because it's a lot of it is about what's what's not being said so royal baby blah 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 and he just leaves like no big deal stops heads back in brings up the mary kelly or or uh he wasn't quite sure on the girl's name but he's like you know what's her name kelly he thinks about it and you just have ponderous panels right there outside the building. We don't, we're not privy because we already know, we already know what's being said here.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great showing the character's realization, that connection in his brain.
1: Yeah, and, and we know what's happening here because of what happens next when he marches his ass right up to police headquarters and the people that he was working for doing his damnedest to try to crack a case that he was being commissioned for. And these guys were playing dumb. And look at Campbell going from these like hard
0: horizontal verticals to as he enters into the police station and things start to go out of line. We start to see the Dutch angles, the directional devices as he's going into this, and it's all angles now. We no longer have those horizontal verticals because this is just, this is the nightmare.
1: Great first person view right there, man. And uh, like you said, it's over, Johnny, and you're going to be a rich man at the end of it.
0: Yeah, as long as you're willing to sign on and be a part of this conspiracy, we'll make it up to you.
1: <laughs> and uh, the vulnerability he has here at the end where he's just, it's time to get out of this racket. And then he becomes like a Pinkerton. My dad worked for the Pinkertons.
0: Oh, wow. Could have brought him on as a guest, though.
1: The Pinkertons, uh, like the the, the security uh, organization from, from New York, uh, are the people who swam down the, floated down the Monongahela. To, into homestead to during the steel strike in the early 1900s to beat up the uh the uh the mill guys and you know seven or nine people died my dad was a steelworker and a pinkerton wow. he was both he's a mercenary he goes where the money is man all right chapter 14 Gaul ascending and uh this is we get to see this is william gall's epilogue we get to see how he turned out at the end of this thing possibly
0: yeah you know like this would be all um the Alan Moore conjecture for this story, uh, which he cites, you know, different places where, where he's referencing this idea from, but, uh, you know, outside of the official story of Gaul being dead at this point. And I should point this out. There was a All question right. in the last couple of chapters where Gaul was having visions, uh, you know, when he's killing Mary Kelly. And one of them, I said, what is this one where he's referencing Tom? He's put into this under the pseudonym of Thomas Mason.
1: Yeah. So he had a forward projection, like right. we saw... Gaul having all those psychotropic trips uh, and one of his trips was to just like the near future as opposed to skyscraper office buildings.
0: And there's some poetic justice in this kind of ending for Gaul too. In the beginning of this story we see him treating women in the asylum and and, and really you know, removing their faculties from them in, in that treatment. Now we see Gaul's life coming full circle where he is now a patient in one of these asylums and Neglected and and kind of losing his mind and faculties himself.
1: Yeah, all the while a nurse is having sex with Orderlies like right in front of him. Right. That, that's that's straight out of like you know Halloween, Halloween two or something.
0: Yeah, Moore's notes for this is I think his mother was a nurse and told stories of this sort. I believe this it, apparently happened. Yeah, and of
1: course I'm sure it does, right? I, I was I was reading about William Gull and he did a lot for. Um, bringing women into medicine like helping women become doctors and and making moves to make that possible when you read this like he's obviously not put in a good light but basically this has been dismissed historically like there's a lot of evidence against this this theory of the william gall as jack the ripper
0: yeah and it is worth reminding everybody that this is just a theory right it's extremely well researched historical fiction but fiction
1: and in uh, the night of the gall catchers story at the end, like aamore they like they even dismiss their own they we'll we'll get to that man basically here's the deal William Go. he's having a bunch of trips as he his his life's flashing before his eyes and he's and he's dead
0: yeah, floating over that, that ascension is his spirit or whatever, like leaving his body and floating above all of this. Kind of interesting there's a few of these things where you know we talk about how much conspiracy stuff is in here there's a few of these like scaly um references and it, it reminds me of like all those lizard conspiracy stuff
1: yeah i wonder what art bell has to say about uh about um the jack the ripper look at this man straight out of uh teletubbies <laughs> like <laughs> it's like the sun head of william Gull. did we pass netley
0: netley gets uh his comeuppance here on this sequence this spread uh, you know, vision of Gaul kind of upsetting him and, and leading to his uh, his his demise.
2: Yeah, yeah, At the
0: foot of one of those obelisks, which I assume is accurate. They're, presumably, there's a record of, of you know where he was found dead. So it's kind of again poetic justice. Right. It does all. You know, these threads all tie up neatly. It is historical
1: fiction, but again, man, that research really uh, leads to a nice, compelling sense of closure. And we wrap it up uh, in a bun. You know, we started with the old men on the shore, we end with the old men on the shore. Uh, we have Aberlene and uh, the, the, uh, the psychic medium guy. What's his name? Lees? Or yeah, D's. Lees. Uh, they're visiting uh, Graves. That poor bastard who got. Druitt. Yeah, Mr. Druitt. Poor Mr. Druitt, the guy who was set up as a patsy for the uh, Jack the Ripper murders and uh you know they're paying homage to him because he clearly you know they're the only people who know that he didn't do it uh mr lee's is is also a guy who got that uh the ultimatum of uh, you know you're going to retire you're going to be a rich man you're going to do well for yourself but you can't say a fucking word
0: yeah and there, there's some reflection here too on the women themselves and how much they are sort of marginalized in this story mm-hmm. you know as they sit here and they ponder drew it and they they ponder their own uh being put out of their jobs or whatever and how much these women are just part of a story you know they're almost they don't get any of that i mean they're dead but they're they're not even respected in their death
1: yeah and, and that's of a- neat
0: it's it feels like that's a little bit of alan moore the writer speaking and it's, it's kind of interesting to have uh, a writer weighing in on how these subjects I don't know. They're treated. You know, I mean, you're you're writing a story about somebody that's based on a real person, but their character once you put them in the story. And in a way, that's what the gall catchers will kind of build on that. I feel like there's maybe some ideas that come up in this chapter that lead him to do the gall catchers.
1: I would be remiss to not uh, make note of this uh, doers whiskey advertisement because the only other Dewar's whiskey advertisement that I know of is the one where Dennis Cohen is posing along with a bottle of Dewar's in uh, old ads that were like in Playboy Magazine and stuff. Gotta keep the comics connection, man. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's a deep pull. That's good. <laughs> All right, we, we made mention before and we showed off, uh, if you've never read uh, From Hell, the amazing appendix that uh, corresponds with almost every single page. Certainly every chapter is discussed. And this is uh, straight from Alan Moore's mouth, uh, talking about the different things that are happening on every page and where he pulled his information.
0: Yeah, really fun read. If you're a writer, if you're an aspiring writer, cartoonist, you do get some insight into his creative process and thinking. And it's astounding just seeing the amount of research that went into this book.
1: We're very lucky that he you know, kept notes along the way and, and, uh, and has this information to, to share with us. I was thrilled to have that, but you know what? This is a heck of a package, and and that's not all, Jim. Because appendix number two is the dance of the gall catchers, and uh, it is the sort of metaphor is that these people with the net these are your ripperologists. Yeah, and the, these... the perfect metaphor with the whole gall is exactly <laughs> what you're chasing. Totally, and so it's just describing the complexities of trying to um, trying to decipher the Whitechapel murders all the players involved, and how much uh, confusion and cloak and dagger and hyperbole that, you know, the game of telephone that was played with some people who were actually involved, You, if, well, if the From Hell version is to be believed, because this is the artist, that secret guy. Well,
0: he's involved in the sense that he did paintings about the ripper murders so Mm -hmm. even if he's not involved in any way like how this story portrays him he's certainly involved in real life in that he has this record of doing paintings that were exploiting the popularity of this stuff right uh you know inserting him into that conversation Uh maybe one of the first ripperologists in a way or one of the first people to join this jack the ripper theme park as more later describes it this comic is astounding. Amazing. I I would love to have read it without reading from hell to just see like, what do I make of it? Yeah. People watching at home, I would say, give this a read and see what you make of it. I think it would probably stand on its own. It's remarkable.
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. It's, it's, about, it's about the Ripperologist. It's about Jack the Ripper as pop culture phenomenon and how uh, people have explored those murders over the past 100 plus, plus years? It's presented chronologically, so it's
0: basically as soon as the murders happen, then it's like everything that's come since then in their wake from the pop culture point of view, Ed, as you said, uh, which makes it real easy to follow because you get to see like how does this mythology get blown up and continue to be recycled? You get to see all of these significant steps along the way, starting with Sickert, the artist, uh, you know, making his
1: name, the reason we know him uh, is because he did these paintings. Right. And one of the first uh stories is written, sort of inspired by Jack the Ripper is The The Lodger by Miss Bellick lowndes And there was uh the silent film by uh, Alfred Hitchcock that I could highly recommend, man. Some real good visual visual stuff going on in that flick. Um you know it's a it's a analogue for Jack the Ripper. And but that's that's what the story is. It's just like Year by year, book by book, film by film, uh, account by account, Uh, Alan Moore is just laying it all out there, and it's one of the remarkable things about it is that it's just laying out bullshit and stuff that has been muddying up the waters for the past hundred years. They spent ten years making this comic, and they're even including themselves in it. Like you know, you can't you can't take us for gospel either.
0: and of course i mean the appendix one is the research version of this you know it's they're coming out of the same spot Uh, you know that that research lending itself to how you build a historical fiction tell that narrative but then also like of course they're a part of it you know moore's moore's definitely smart enough to recognize he's throwing throwing in with this lot it's neat to think of jack the ripper as a fictitious character like a spider-man so what you see are all these people who are benefiting financially and have various interests, financial interests in the exploitation and development of this character and the selling of it. Right. It's really uh, it's, it's a, it's an amazing piece.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how, how, how you say that because when, when you equate them with a superhero comic, you think about the decades of collaborators who have added to their own bit, you know, and, and in modern times, like, like those radio shows, like art bell, or whatever Um, when people talk about like the reptilians uh the next experts that call in are building on the fake shit that the previous person was talking about and then they're adding their own bit to the story and you have that
0: in this story. It's not just somebody wrote a book and this is what was interesting in the book. It's then what happened to that person, and they're right. going on promos, they're going on shows, they're being rebutted by other people that are involved, or they're being, uh, you know, boosted by those people. So it's so many characters, you know, real and not real. Yeah. It's
1: it's a this is remarkable
0: on its own, as I say, as a comic.
1: Yeah. The the little metaphor with the with the gall catchers. Whenever something is is pretty universally like the consensus agrees like did not happen that's where you'll see like the character with the face in the mud where it's like okay well that person they're out <laughs> <laughs> anyhow a heck of a comic and in a really great way to to end this giant project and here, here's the alan moore eddie campbell goal catcher sequence
0: They, uh, Moore's so good with language. Like there's stuff that he refers to as Whitechapel fandom. Right. And in my mind, it's like fan fiction, you know, is the first thing that comes to mind when I read that phrase, which is all of those things you could see in this comic, that idea of fan fiction, you know, of exploiting somebody else's creation for your own means.
1: It's pretty rich. Alan Moore actually went to Whitechapel to like do some physical research. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the conspiratorial
0: stuff where like some people endorsed the book and then took it, then walked it back and speculation on why that was done or, you know, what was the reasoning behind that. And it's still protecting royalty. You know, it's still sort of like, well, that's that's you're, you're speculating on who this person is or this identity. And we don't appreciate that in regards to the crown. Right. right? It's the same story in a way that he tells about Lee's and Aberline, where it's like, listen, guys, keep your mouth shut. You get get a nice pension out of it. I like this visual a lot, and I've I've heard him talk about this where, like, if you were to map the circumference of, say, the English Isles, you can do that. But once you start going in and getting closer and closer with the coastline, it becomes infinite. And so that's what he's illustrating with, like, the snowflake idea, and then applies it to each one of these books is essentially doing this to this crime, to this this murder, where it's, like, more and more and more and more details until it, it really is, like, just infinite how much you can examine this. And really, come away with no exact answer,
1: and that's where he leaves it. One of the most impressive graphic novels I've ever read. Un- unbelievable, the amount of work is astounding that went into this thing. And some of the kayfabe community out there, they were talking about. They pulled some intel from the From Hell companion uh, when we were speculating. So I had to, I had to get a copy of this thing, man, and. Like I said, it just came out. I mean, I just got it yesterday, but I can easily recommend it. Uh, it's it's Eddie Campbell's um, point of view from most of the pros. You get to see the exact uh, From Hell script in many sections. How much is that worth by itself? Oh, I know. And uh, another extremely valuable piece to this uh, publication is we get to see... The Alan Moore thumbnails that it turns out when he write at least wrote this story described that he basically draws the comic himself in a very rough way, and it's only then that he puts pen you know he gets his typing fingers on uh, the keyboard to start to put the script together. So let's take a look at. I don't know about those ones, like the ones on note on lined paper. Here's the
0: interesting thing too for people watching at home: those thumbnails never went to Eddie Campbell. He right. found those
1: after he was done drawing. This was totally an Alan Moore writing tool. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it's it's astounding how how close everything is. Like this is the this is the Alan Moore, and this is the uh, Eddie the final printed piece. Man, when when came out, uh, I was I was promoting that san diego comic-con and and eddie campbell was out there you know this was forthcoming and in my mind i was dismissing it like uh, just another another bite at the apple as a person who just went through the book with a fine tooth comb i'm very happy to have my hands on this
0: i'm a big fan of eddie campbell the cartoonist but also the writer about comics so Mm -hmm. like i think just having his insight on this would be worth it yeah you know, in addition to Alan Moore's scripts and seeing all the artwork and behind the scenes, like just hearing a very thoughtful, articulate writer like Campbell weigh in on it, I think is probably a great thing. You know, we see so much of Alan Moore in the appendix and things. It'd be great to see the artist, uh, you know, w- what he's looking at, thinking of connections he's making on his own, because it is a collaboration, obviously.
1: Yeah. This is, uh, I did read this piece. Uh, Eddie Campbell's talking about like I think Alan was trying to was trying to challenge me to draw something in more detail because a lot of what i was drawing was uh more simplified so just describing like the super close ornate sign with with a uh, screwed into the brick and flowers all around it and everything great drawing yeah this is all alan Moore. yeah super cool man anyhow if the original from hell graphic novel isn't enough or if it's inspired you to continue making comics yourself, why not get the From Hell Companion as well? Like I, I could highly recommend it, uh, given the insights that Eddie Campbell provides, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, including uh, the Alan Moore scripts and, and thumbnails. But we got our own stuff to make, right, Jimmy? Yep. K. Okay, favors. Like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when the next vids are available. Octobriana's in stores now and available on Comixology, so you don't even have to leave your house to go get this thing. Uh, Patreon.com slash EdPiscor is where I'm serializing my current comics projects. Three bucks will get you a complete archive, and if you jump on there right now, issue one is able to be read in total.
0: You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video to keep up with everything we're doing. You can find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video.
1: Give them those motion orders, Jimmy.
0: Read more comics.